Hey folks, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. I'm having a long weekend, basically Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, I got bored today. It's already 10.30 and I was bored. I was like, you know, I love doing Twitch shows, just hanging out and talking about D&D and having a chat. And uh, there's nothing I seem to enjoy more than the sound of my own voice. So I thought I would do a Twitch chat today and we would just talk about general D&D stuff. No, no big topics. I do have a list of topics because I don't want to bore people to death. Um, but no big central topic today. Just a good time. Good, good time. Good coffee with my dog mug that I stole from my wife. I have three different kinds of coffee sitting on my desk right now. I'm loaded up with coffee today. Um, yeah, so I made a list of things to chat about. This show, I'll do my little pitch. Uh, this show, like all the Sly Flare shows, are brought to you by the fine uh, supporters of Sly Flourish on Patreon. If you want to become a supporter of Sly Flourish, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and uh, help support shows like this and equipment and bandwidth and all the other costs that are associated with keeping Sly Flourish going. Uh, also, I also want to start talking more about the newsletter. So there's a Sly Flourish newsletter. If you go to slyflourish.com slash subscribe, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Let's take a look here. Uh, slyflourish.com slash subscribe takes you to a newsletter page. You can put your email address in here and you will get weekly emails uh, with the latest Sly Flourish article. So it's a it's a easier, faster way to get every Sly Flourish article sent directly to your inbox. Uh, you will also get announcements of new big Sly Flourish projects. So um, that is a good way. Uh, that's a good way to kind of, if you're, if you're interested in the stuff I'm doing, that's probably the best way. That and Patreon are probably the best way to do it. And Discord and here and YouTube and Twitter. I'm doing a lot of things. Uh, I try to keep the Patreon newsletter is like the hub of all of it. So like you'll get links every month to all of the articles and all of the videos that I've produced and anything new and cool that I've produced. Uh, I try to make it so that the people who are directly supporting Sly Flourish every month uh, get the easiest access to all of the stuff that I'm making without having to go hunt around for it. Um, and then they can ignore it if they don't want that stuff. So I try to do that pretty regularly. I do that once every month, usually beginning of the month. First Friday of the month, usually. So I got one next month. Um, yeah, so check out the newsletter. Um, yeah, so I thought today we'd talk about lots of different things. I got lots of lots of topics to talk about. I don't know if we want to talk about all those. If you're in chat today, uh, there, I don't think there's a whole bunch of you, but um, feel free to mention which ones of these, I don't know, 10 things. Uh, one, two, three. It looks like ten things. Uh, which one of these ten things you are actually interested in hearing about? And I'm happy to talk about it. And then I'll also ignore and talk about things I want to talk about. There's some things on here that like I really don't have a lot to say. It's like future Tasha, further Tasha's thoughts. I don't really have more thoughts on Tasha's than I gave last week. Uh, it's cool. I want to see it in operation. Um, there is one little thing I was talking to my friend Chris about it today. Um, that they and and I guess there's been talk about this on other shows. I think it was on Dragon Talk or something like that. They talked about a new bit of what they refer to as tech, uh, a new sort of mechanic, which is tying limited options to proficiency bonuses instead of attribute bonuses. And the advantage there is you know exactly how many you're going to get regardless like of whether a character has been boosting their primary attribute or not. Um, so an example is the sword, the blade singer, uh, can blade sing a number of times equal to their proficiency bonus, which means, you know, exactly how many times in a day they're going to be able to do that, uh, regardless of where they put their ASI and it's over there. Yeah. Their ability score increases. So it means it scales with level. So I thought that's kind of interesting. I don't know how that 
you know, I mean, is that a big deal? I don't know. I don't think it's a particularly big deal, but um, it's kind of interesting. I don't really have any other Tasha's thoughts. I did post a tweet. Uh, point crawl. Uh, Rex Verdi says point crawls, the hard parts, cool stuff that happened in your game. Are the things you're killing the hard, which, which are the hard parts? Oh, the hard parts of 5e. Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, I did post a uh, tweet earlier today asking about uh, what things you wish were in Tasha's that weren't there. And I got some interesting responses. I'm, I'm, I'm asking not for altruistic reasons. I'm asking for very specific reasons, uh, which some of you can imagine. So um, yeah, I got some interesting thoughts back there. Some things that I think I, I can do. And then some things I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if that's for me. So, you know, but I want to try to get an idea of the, the kinds of things people wish were in there and then pick up some ideas. Um, point crawls. Let's talk about point crawls. Point crawls are something that I have been spending a lot of time uh, studying and researching recently. Uh, I have a whole list of articles that I've been kind of digging through. Let's see if I can find these. This would be under my, I don't, is it under draft still? Or did, did I promote it to articles ready for edits? I think I promoted it. Uh, let's see, Path for DM Expertise, Running Wars, Dark Vision isn't as good as you think. Hmm. Where is my article? Let's go back to drafts. Wow, did I lose this article? Man, that would totally suck. But I can't find it. I can't have deleted it. Certainly didn't delete it. Uh, Counterspell, running session zeros, DM reading, screwing with your players, randomly. This is not, is this an order? This is an order. Oh, you know why? I'm sure that my iCloud drive is not up to date. That's what's happening here. Uh, so let me, I don't know why iCloud drive. I use iCloud drive to try to sync and it does not sync particularly well. I think it needs updating regularly. Um, and uh it needs updating regularly. When it's not updated, it won't sync and it doesn't tell you that it's not syncing. So you're like, where are my articles? Oh, they're still there. They're just not visible. So yeah, I did a bunch of research into point crawls. Point crawls is sort of an, an old school idea, I think. Um, let's go here. Point crawls, yay. How do I, uh, now I can mail, this is such a hassle mail this article to myself this is exciting this is this is why you came here today um i'm doing it because i want to show the articles that i was reading and i need to get the article where i have i stashed them all um oh i should also post that i'm i'm live on twitch hang on a sec uh i am live on twitch talking about DD. come join me bang and then we put an image of the uh document uh, icloud drive this one i know is there because i've seen it there before documents and we will do the enclave square where it's two people chatting cool um yeah let's go find that there we go, and we will download it, and we will open it, and we will find a markdown renderer. Do I? I don't have a markdown renderer on 
my PC. So let's find a web-based markdown to HTML. And we will convert it. And give me the raw HTML. And this is so convoluted. Um, desktop. Glad HTML. And we minimize that. And we will, uh, let's see, let me bring up a new window here. Bunk. There we go. So this is my draft article. You get to see a draft article today. You probably can't read it. Bang, bang, bang. Um, this is my draft article on point crawls. So it is not it is not ready yet. Uh, something happened here. I didn't want to have happened. Yeah, there we go. And uh, there were a whole bunch of articles. I guess. Yeah, that I. Yeah, here's the the further reading is where I went bananas uh, about point crawls. So. The, the I'm still new to all this. This is why I like the articles in draft and I need to do more research because like, I you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just say stuff and, uh, I you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I need to really understand it. There's people who have been spending a lot of time on this topic. And luckily, I've got some front friends of mine in, in my Discord chat who have been spending time on this so I can kind of learn from them and try things out and be like, how does this work? So the idea behind point crawls sort of comes from an evolution of hex crawling. And there's a whole bunch of, you know, a bunch of articles here uh, about it. Alexandrian, uh, Justin Alexander has written a lot about hex crawls. Um, and the general idea is that uh, every hex, in fact, if you read the Dungeon Master's Guide, if you look in the first, I think it's like in the first chapter of the Dungeon Master's Guide, it talks about using hexes for distances. And let's, let's actually, let's all get our copies of the, oh God, I just banged the mic. Uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, and take a look at what it has to say uh, on mapping kingdom scale. Uh, so it has continent scale. So it's got different scales. Mapping your campaign. There's a whole chapter. This is on page 14. Uh, a whole section on um, mapping out your campaign and talks about using hex paper with five hexes to the inch. And then it has different scales. And so province scale is... Um, very detailed, and every hex is one mile. And uh, so you can essentially cover that in a, what, you know, a short amount of time. Minutes, right? That's minute scale. Kingdom scale is every hex representing six miles. And then continent scale is every hex uh, doing 60 miles. So um, that's kind of interesting. Continent scale is probably bigger than I typically want to do. So I think the kingdom scale, if you're, if you're thinking about doing like a section of forest or you're thinking about doing like a, a city, a, a pretty big city, uh, you know, kind of a big area. Because I think like how many hexes can you cover in a day um, is under, you know, some, there's some other section that I'd have to go look up about travel speed, which is probably important. So the idea is like you essentially write out your whole area that you want to do. Kingdom scale is probably the right scale. I think for the, for, you probably want to use most. And um, you've put something in there. Is it, you know, you put an environment. Is it a forest? Is it a grassland? Is it hills? Is it mountains? Is it desert? Whatever. And then you might put a thing in there, like there's an old ruin in there, or there's a old archway, a strange ancient feyish archway, or some other kind of monument. And, um, 
And then you go through the process, very old school method of you go through the process of having the characters move from hex to hex and you kind of roll for encounters and you talk about weather and you talk about provisions and you talk about, you know, checking for things, persuasion and survival checks and all that sort of stuff. And if you've played uh, Tomb of Annihilation, Tomb of Annihilation has this kind of built into it. And I thought that that was a pretty good idea. Some people just hate it, right? And that's fine. You don't have to do it. Um, but I thought it was neat that the fifth edition designers said, let's do a hex crawl in a modern adventure. So they took Tomb of Annihilation and they made it a hex crawl. And uh, I ran it that way until, I, you know, a lot of people said, did you run it that way? And I said, I ran it until I stopped, right? I ran it until it was kind of boring and really didn't have much of a factor. And then we sort of would, you know, move our finger forward and be like, just, we'll just go through a few hexes at a time. So that's sort of one way to do it. So the point crawl, as far as I understand it, and people in chat, if you are listening to this and you're like, man, he's baked. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, please correct me. I, I am all for being corrected on stuff I don't understand. And this is a topic I do not really understand particularly well. So the idea behind a point crawl is you connect important places together. You don't worry about the, the hex-sized distances. You probably still worry about distances, but not you're not worried too much about distances. It's more abstract. And as you know, I like abstract things. So, um, so I, I gravitated towards this. And the idea is that you have notable locations connected by natural connections. And so a notable location is, and, and I have this example, right? And hopefully you can like read these uh, locations and um, get, you know, and your mind kind of comes up with something. I, these mean specific things to me, but maybe they mean something different to you. And that's cool, right? This is actually meant to be a city. Uh, this is a point crawl in the city of the of making for my campaign, uh, and it's not a great one. This is this is really the the problem with this one is there's there's it's yeah it's not it's not great, and I'll get into why it's not great in a minute. Um, so you have important landmarks or locations, right? And it could be like Weathertop, you know, it could be uh, the 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 town of Bree, it could be the 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 uh, the the barge or the barge uh, the what is it called the um, when all the hobbits run and they get on the boat and they go across the river, there's a name for that thing. Um, you know, so there's major landmarks and then there's connections between the landmarks. Buck Buckleberry Ferry, thank you. Michon N says Buckleberry Ferry, thank you. So, you know, those are landmarks, right? And between the landmarks, you have sort of things that connect them. And those things might be roads or paths or game trails or rivers, or open open land, you know, like open plains. There, you know, there there are ways to get from point A to point B in a point crawl that are natural to the world around them, and that creates these uh, these connections between locations. So your the, your point crawl is really you know locations and natural you know landmarks and natural connections between the landmarks. And sometimes those natural connections are one way. So you might have a point crawl where you can get to, uh, I think, do I have another one up here? Yeah, um, here's another one. And this is another bad one, and I'll get into why. But let's pretend for a minute that you started at Karshak Station, and you have sort of three ways you can go. You can go to Obsidian Spires, the Plains of Glass, or the Road of, the, Road of Fallen Iron. And if you go to the Obsidian Spires, you know, traveling through the Obsidian Spires, you might reach Sky, sky uh, Collar's Wreck. But you could think that Skycaller's Wreck is actually better as a offshoot of the Obsidian Spires. And you can really go from the Obsidian Spires to the Altar of Valara or to um, Skycaller's Wreck. So um, 
you know, there is a there's a different way that this that this point crawl could go because this one's too linear. Like even though it's three paths, it's still really linear. And I have a reason for it being linear like this, which is that I wanted to have essentially four locations between Karshak and the Gates of Making, regardless of which path they took, because I wanted it to last one session. I didn't want to take a lot of time with it. So uh, it was in, instead of creating a much more open exploration environment, the problem with an open exploration environment is you really don't know how long it's going to take, right? It could take weeks. And I just don't want the characters to spend weeks going through the glass plateau. I really wanted it to be like one session. And if it's one session long, about four locations is about right. And that would be Obsidian Spires. And Obsidian Spires is really all of it. So, you know, yeah. Um, so I think that that's the idea behind... Um, behind point crawls is you you design it's a it's a good this is something i ran into because it was a problem that i was having specifically with the glass plateau this one area of eberron that i'm running and i was like well, what's in the glass plateau and what are, when they get there what choices are available to them and what how how did i know that they want to go from the glass plateau to the gates of making i know that i want to show them things that occur there and that like show them what the glass plateau is like I also want to give them meaningful choices. So I don't want this linear path of like, here's four different places you go. You can do it, but it's not the most fun. So I wanted to have options and I wanted to have like different things that they could see, but I also wanted to fix it to a limited amount of time. Uh, this is not a decision tree. Um, Ran, Ran Rooster says, I'm sorry I'm late, but what are we looking at? This You're looking at a point crawl. You're, this is, a lo this is the, the layout of a location an abstract location, which they begin, the characters begin at Karshak Station, then they have choices about which direction they're going across the gate. So you can think of it like a map without the map, right? That they, they travel through these places. And at each one of these places, they have an interesting location that they run into and probably some kind of encounter. And the encounter could be a combat encounter, but it also could be running into a person. Uh, I had one group that actually went through this. They, they went to Karshak Station. They went to the Plains of Glass. They went to the Mirrors. They had an encounter at the Mirrors. Uh, they went to the Shattered Gate where they met an orc lich, an orc druid lich, a former member of the Gatekeepers, the ancient order of druids who, of orc druids, who kept uh, the realm of Zoriat at bay. And there was a lich there who was at a Shattered Gateway trying to keep the thing from opening. And he said, there, by the way, these gates, there's gates all over this place and they're shattering. And then they made it to the Armies of Glass where they've met, they've faced these creatures called Collectors who are collecting the souls of dead soldiers who are encased in glass uh, because of whatever the hell happened in making. And that's where our adventure ended. So they went right down that line. And it was fine, right? That worked fine. Uh, and it got me where I wanted to go, which is basically one session spent at the Glass Plateau. So that was a way to work with it. So there's lots of articles. The, the two groups that seemed to talk about it the most were the Hill Cantons blog, um, which has a whole bunch of articles that go back to like 2012. So these are eight-year-old articles about doing hex crawling. And think about it. Like 2012, there was no fifth edition. So this stuff is pre-fifth edition. Uh, but it, clearly, whoever, I forget the name of the author. I guess I can find out. Crawling without, let's go to... Because I think there had a, uh, there was one of these where it had like a whole hex crawl sort of um, wrap up, uh, and they call and then the other another name for this thing is sort of this idea of path crawl. And I think path crawl is the idea that you're following natural paths. So I fell into this because it feels like a really good tool for, um, it feels like a really good tool. Uh, for handling overland exploration in sort of a lazy way, right? Uh, it fits my, like, I like to write 10 things down. And then it's like, well, how do you connect to 10 things? And 
Um, I also, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proficient in the idea of network, you know, networks with nodes and edges and connections between those. And so this hits that part of my brain too. Uh, so it really works, but Alexandrian and Hills, the Hill Canton blog, Hill Canton's blogs, both talk a lot about it. And this will be, I'm going to have an article about this. So, um, you know, if you're interested in more, I suppose I could probably copy and paste this into Twitch. So there's a bunch of articles. If you want to read about it, paste it into Twitch. So that's point crawls. I'm going to, I've got, obviously I've got an article about this. Let's, let's do a quick run through the article and just see what's going on here. And the article I'm still working on. Oh yeah. So why does they suck? So it's, so, um, um, it sucks because it doesn't follow, uh, the ideas of, uh, Jacquet, uh, Janelle Jacquet when you think about dungeons, which is when you're, and this is something that, again, an article from Alexandrian uh, talks about jacquing the, uh, jacquing the dungeon. And the idea is that um, uh, you, when you're building a map, you have specific ways you want maps to go. So yeah, uh, uh, Alexandrian has like a, you know, as, as Alexandrian, as Justin Alexander does, has many articles that talk about this idea. It's like there's a bunch of th ways you want to design your, I'm going to start with, I'm going to say dungeon, but the truth is it also works for point crawls. Uh, you want loopbacks. You want different ways to get from point A to point B. You want dead ends. Uh, you know, you want, and, and if you think about it, like if you look at maps that Dyson does, uh, Dyson logo maps fit this strategy a lot. Uh, let's 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 take a look at Dyson logo maps. They're not linear. They don't have just one path. There's not one stairwell. Um, you know, that's probably an extreme example. Let's pick one of his. So like, here's a great big one. Um, lots of different. This is a great map, man. So lots of different paths. Things that go on top uh, of over over them. Uh, Garrow with no name says, I'm going to complete this. I hate missing parts of a dungeon or storyline. Yeah, you're hosed because every in D and D, um, in D and D, uh, a lot of stuff isn't made. Right. So yeah, like you're not going to search every room on this, but I've had players who are like, let's search every room and that's fine. You know, they, I did a, a big dam and they did. So you probably don't want to drop a map like this in front of people. Look at that. There's like, is that a maw that looks like a big mouth down there? That's sweet. Oh, this map is, I want to run a D and D game using this map. But you can see, like, let's see if I can. Oh, come on. What is going on? This map is so big that my browser's breaking up. There we go. Um, so you can see there's like lots of loopbacks, you know, different ways to get, like, let's assume you're coming from the south here. Um, uh, you know, if you assume you're coming from the south here, you know, multiple paths in loopbacks, you know, like you'll you'll come back and you'll, you'll hey, we're about the beginning again. You kind of think about it. I'll tell you I'll tell you what really like the, the game that really knocked my socks off with this and it knocked everyone's socks off with this is um, Dark Souls. The original Dark Souls game uh, has a very three dimensional map. The whole game takes place on a single interconnected map and you get further and further along and then find these shortcuts that take you back to the original spot again. And they're really, it's really awesome. Um, and, and you, you can think of these maps that way that like you're, you're as you travel through, there's loopbacks, there's dead ends. 
Uh, there's things over the top of one another. There's, you know, I wish that there was a good like list, a simple list of like, this is, these are the things you want to sort of check off when you design a thing. But all these ideas of like loopbacks and dead ends and, and asymmetric design fit your point crawls too, that you want your point crawl. And that's why these, that's why, um, uh, that's why the, this one sucks. It's like, I mean, there's loopbacks kind of, but not really. Like these would be better interconnected. This one's a little bit better, except it doesn't have any real dead ends, right? And it's basically just almost everything is connected to everything else. And that's not really useful. Again, I designed it that way because um, I wanted it to be sort of fixed session. But I think I need to go back and redo this one. I probably won't, you know, this one's kind of done. Although I might do it for my other group. We'll see. I think there's other ways of designing this that have sort of that more jacquet style of loops, loopbacks and loopbacks and dead ends. Uh, people in chat, if you are smarter on the idea of jacquetting a dungeon than I am, what would you consider to be, if you were gonna list out the criteria that identifies a jacquet style dungeon, I would be, I would love to know. Um, yeah, uh, Ran Rooster says, that's why, I, uh, that's why I always do five room dungeon. My players have fun and I don't have to plan as much. Yeah. Uh, sure. I mean, I'm, you know, what works works. And, and I'll tell you the, the idea of the five room dungeon is a model. I don't begrudge models because they make our lives easier. Uh, it's not my style. And I'll tell you, I mean, I'm a lazy dude, right? Like I'm not quite a professional lazy dude. I still have a day job, but I'm pretty close. And, um, this stuff is not hard. And I'll tell you like the late, I, I wrote an article about this. Like, I think, you know, I think I wrote this last week. A couple weeks ago, building lazy dungeons, right? So this is a little different than a five-room design, but the idea here, here's another like good example of like a, you know, you can see like here you've got dead ends and loopbacks, a lot of loops, right? And then some dead ends, almost everything in here is connected, but it's kind of a cool way. And um, it's funny that I, I did a thing on lazy dungeons and yet I didn't annotate a traditional dungeon room. I really ought to put another one in here. Um, but my idea is you go to Dyson Logos because he's got a thousand maps. You pick a map you like. Um, you know, let's just say you just you just want to sanctuary of the Magi, right? And you just say like, this is fine. It's not the most okay. Too symmetrical. Not a lot of dead ends. Um, I wouldn't consider this to be a, an ideal version of a jacquet style dungeon, but it may suit your need. And what I like to do is I will grab the image and I use a Mac primarily, and I will paste this image into, or open it up in preview, and I'll annotate it. And I'll just write names down. Um, I think I've got, oh, so I did one for my wife uh, for our one-on-one for -on -one game. Let me let me pull this up. So in our AQ Expeditions is my the game that I play with my wife, my one-on-one -on -one game. And I just created a new location, Laboratory of Tavranis. Uh, open up the page. And here, let's go to the original. Uh, here is an example uh, where I took a map that we were gonna use. So in my, in my wife's game, she found a stairwell and a locked door in the manor that she bought. And the door had this crazy arcane lock on it. And she just got the key after completing this other quest. She got a key to it. And she's gonna open up and find out that there's a whole laboratory under here that a, a, an old artificer made back during the time of the last war. And the primary thing about the, 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 the laboratory is that it has a gatekeeper's gateway in it that she can use to basically go anywhere in Eberron if she has the right key. 
And then most of the campaign will be her getting new keys and opening up new areas and going to different places. There's one key that's already in here that she can use. And then that opens up to like three more. And then she has these different places that she can go. Uh, so what I did is I just took the map and I drew, I, I wrote names on it, right? And broken summoning circle, sunken vault of the artifacts, monoliths of the gatekeepers, chamber, chamber of monoliths, a lot of monoliths, right? Vault of Memory, Scrying Mirror, Artificer's Laboratory. So lots of different things that you would expect. And a broken cells. One of the things is that there's a, there's a night hag who's loose um, in here. And the night hag is doing like nightmarish things. So there's villains and nightmares that are, uh, have invaded this place and that she has to clear out eventually. She, I think it'll be sessions before she deals with that. Um, so that was my lazy map, right? And that what is that? Nine-ish places? Ten-ish? Again, sort of ten-ish ten -ish locations that I filled out. I just give them an evocative name. And then I go through the rest of the lazy DM steps. But what I have is now a map that's bigger than five rooms. It's not, it's not a series. Uh, she can explore different paths and see different things and explore it over time. And I can improvise what she finds there based on the name and based on the other secrets that I've that I've got for the campaign. And that works for me. Like that that means I can build out a bigger map without a lot of work. I don't have to prepare every room. I don't say like what's in the monoliths of the gatekeepers. It's like, well, I know there're monoliths there. I know who the gatekeepers are. I've got some secrets. You know, I will I will improvise, right? I'll figure them out. So, um so that's my that's my sort of trick you know, again, not bashing five-room dungeons. The only problem with five-room dungeons, they start to feel the same, although you can kind of vary them up. So I don't know. It's a good framework if people dig it, and I'm not, I'm not begrudging anybody having a, a, a method that works for them. Um, so Rex Verdi gave me a list of jacaying the dungeon, multiple entrances, two paths through, loops, level connections, secret paths, divided levels, and nested dungeons. I don't know about... I don't understand nested dungeons, if you could, if you could uh, fill that one out. I think I got all the rest of them. Multiple entrances, check... Two paths through, check. Loops, check. Level connections, sometimes. Secret paths, yeah. I, I tried to like put a secret path in everything. Um, I'll tell you where I, I got started with Jacaying Dungeons was uh, with Grendelroot. Uh, when I was doing Ruins of the Grendelroot. Let's see if I can pull up a map from there. Um, documents. Uh, Ruins of the Grendelroot. Maps. Where's the Grenadier art and map pack? Uh, art and maps. Maps. Um, so for every one of these maps, I'll just pick one at random. Uh, I tried to have multiple entrances. I don't know if I succeeded with this one. I think there's just the one entrance here. Uh, no, there was there were two. So you could come in by river, you could come in by river, but you end up in this central room first. But this one has secret areas, like this area over here on the left. It's got multiple loops, multiple ways through. Uh, it's got some kind of dead end areas a little bit. Um, and these were smaller. So this is closer to your five room idea uh, because I kept these relatively. This one doesn't count because that's very small. Uh, here, multiple entrances. You can come in from the south over this big crater. You can come in by the elevator on the east. Uh, here, there were dead ends. Uh, it's really a big open area, so there's not a lot of looping. But there were multiple paths through. And there's sort of a big open city area, right? So this one was jacayed up a little bit there are secret areas but i think the secret areas are actually inside these places so yeah that that was more of an open an open one um this one had kind of multiple paths you come in from one or corridor so it's not multiple entrances but there are paths on the left and right and it sort of is this figure eight you know sort of idea you'll definitely hit this central area but then you have multiple paths again secret over here on the right so everything had a secret everything usually had multiple paths through many of them had multiple entrances so I think that for small dungeons, they were they were jacayed, 
jacquet a bit. This one, again, multiple entrances in the main area. Uh, no multiple loops, a couple dead ends. You know, I don't, it, it certainly doesn't check, doesn't check all the boxes. Uh, same here. Um, this one had multiple entrances. You can come in from the top and drop down here or come in from the side. Um, so this had, yeah, there, there were, there were kind of different ones. Um, so I think I kind of, I'd probably give myself a C. I'll be nice to myself and give myself a B. It's too late now. Uh, nested equals find an entrance to a second dungeon within the first. A teleportation pad to a new location, a secret door. Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's so. So the problem, and I think this is where the five room dungeon idea kind of comes in, is that um, when you uh, if you have a lot of stuff like that, a lot of loopbacks, a lot of nested dungeons, a lot of different things, like you don't know how long it's going to take them to get through. You have no idea about timing, right? And if you and like one of the things I did with Grendelroot which may have been a mistake, is I worried a lot about timing. I wanted to make sure you could get the adventures done in like two to four hours. I don't know if that is as important as it should have been. I think I've overweighted how valuable that was. And, I, and it might have been better to have bigger. I, one thing I, I, I regret a little bit is that the maps could have been bigger with more places in them and shorter descriptions. It's one thing I think if I were doing a new version of that book, I would do it more in the style of Dragon of Ice Spire Peak with locations with more rooms and shorter descriptions so that there's lots of places to go. Um, uh, what else? Yeah, so that's point crawls. So getting getting back to the idea of point crawls, I think you can take a lot of the concepts that you do for a jacquet dungeon and apply it to point crawls. And that's something I'm still learning, right? This is and I love I'm, I love that I have new things to learn. Um, get rid of those. So I think we've beat that topic to death. That wasn't that that was that an hour? How long have I been going? Thirty minutes on that topic. All right, let's. Uh, not that we're on any kind of schedule. I can talk as long as I want. Uh, let's go back to my notes. Mike Zettelkasten and cook in here. Open a new page. Uh for fun, make these all, how do I make these all checks? Turn into to-do list, point crawls, bang, hard parts of 5e, the hard parts. Oh, yeah, so this is a, um, a bit of a concept on, you know, this is something I'm thinking a lot about. This kind of gets into thoughts on Tasha's. So we're gonna, we're gonna eliminate thoughts on Tasha's. Uh, oh, what did I just do? Oh, console. Um, uh, slash what's missing from Tasha's? So this is something I think a lot about. So one of the things that I that I have up on my Patreon are these Sly Flourish's Uncovered Secrets. And Uncovered Secrets are, um, let's see, I'll pull them up. Uh, they are uh, one-page guidelines to help make running 5e easier. My my goal is to help you get the things out of the way. Uh, did that bring up in the right one? I think it did. Uh, things to help get parts of it out of the way and help you tell your stories, help you share stories at the table. So it's things to help you improvise, it's things to help streamline and speed parts up. Uh, and right now uh, I've got about three, but I've got plenty in the works and I offered up these are these are sort of extensions of what you'd find in the lazy dm workbook um 
So I have the Lazy DM workbook, and it's got things like uh, in random monster dungeon tables. It's got a lot of stuff in here, um, including some like one-page guidelines to sort of make things a little bit easier. And I wanted to expand that idea. I wanted to, you know, look at like what are the tricky bits? What are the you know where can things be expanded easily, and where can um, uh, where can things be expanded easily? And uh, where can things be simplified to help focus our story? So I start off with hordes because um, I think a lot of people believe that fifth edition doesn't really work well when you get over a certain amount of monsters. Let's say 12, right? They think like if you get to 20 and 30 and 50 and 100 and 1,000 monsters, the game becomes untenable. And I'm like, you know, I think there's a way to do this. And I think that there's, um, if you, you know, how would you run a 1,000 skeletons against a 20th level group of characters, right? And that's sort of the extreme end. But I wanted to essentially say like, there is no limit to the number of monsters you can run. And this system, so I, so I, ha, so I wrote one, right? And you probably, if you've, know, if you've seen my stuff at all, you probably have the idea, but it's essentially like, how do you handle damage to a group like that? How do you determine uh, attacks and saving throws? Like how, who succeeds, right? And so I have some very simple tricks, like one, one quarter, assume one quarter succeed or turn that dial down depending on the circumstances. So if the characters are like filled with like, shield and everything else or they have disadvantage or advantage you can move that dial up and down but start with a quarter of them succeed and then increase it or decrease it uh determine your targets randomly adjust uh, area of effect how many if you throw a area of effect on a horde how many can you affect to, to do it i've got a little breakdown here of how big an area is and how many will get caught in a horde um you know you should assume that a fireball hit at least 16 but circumstances always change things so you should always be able to say maybe 32 um so Dragonier says, uh, I've learned to do all of that over 35 years of DMing. It's very likely useful for new DMs. What, which parts uh, have you found useful? Uh, and then a new thing, uh, zone-based combat, right? So this is kind of an extended idea of theater of the mind combat. This is taken from games like, uh, mostly from Fate. Fate Core does this. And I tried to um, add in some other ways to kind of do zone-based combat so that it can work with a map and minis. It can work with a hand-drawn map. It can work with three by five cards. Uh, it can work with just pure theater of the mind. It works well in text and discord. So it's like, you don't want to have to have a, you know, do you need to have a grid for every battle? And the answer is no, you don't. And I'd argue you really, that, and I don't want to say you should or shouldn't. I say, keep all of the tools in your toolbox to tell the stories that are going on, including theater of the mind and including gridded combat, depending on what you want. So these are areas where I think, and then building lazy encounters, you probably heard me talk about this too. Very simple equation that you can keep in your head. I promote this like crazy. And someday, either two things, one of two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to finally recognize that it doesn't make any sense to anybody or that they don't need it. Or everyone's going to suddenly realize that this is the best thing ever. I think it's the best thing ever. Or not the best thing ever, but pretty close. Um, which is if you want to, you know, build your combat based on the circumstances, right? If you are, hey, we got a bunch of characters, they're 17th level, they're traveling through Thanatos, the uh, layer of the abyss that belongs to Orcus. They go to the top of a hill, they're fighting some, uh, in, in, you know, powerful whites, and they cast uh, Turn Undead. And the Turn Undead, the wave of Turn and go roaring, radiant energy radiates out, and all around you, you look around and ghouls all turn and look and hundreds of ghouls are pouring up towards you at the top of this hill. Hundreds of them, right? That's the story. And then you're like, how many ghouls would be deadly for a seven, a group of 17th level characters, right? What This is where you, you, you start with the story. What makes sense? Hundreds of ghouls. Let's say you've got a bunch of like sword wraiths, like 
sword wraith champions, right? Big, powerful sword wraith champion. You've got six of them. And then you've got hundreds of ghouls. You're like, how many ghouls do I want to throw at them at once before I think it's going to be deadly? This is kind of a tricky one because ghouls are CR1. The answer is um, a, an encounter is probably deadly. It's uh, certainly edged into deadly. Not really deadly, but at least mathematically deadly. Um, if the sum total of monster challenge ratings is greater than half the sum total of character levels or one quarter if they're below fifth level, uh, in this case, 17th level. So let's say you have five 17th level characters, five times 17, uh, math is hard. Uh, that's 75 plus, uh, I can't do it in my head. I suck. Uh, five times 17 is 85 divided by two is 42. So 43 ghouls at once is, is on the edge of deadly. Um, but I bet 17th level, and they're going to throw fireballs and everything else, you could probably throw 100, right? You could have 100 ghouls attack them. But I know what the deadly threshold is. And the idea of building lazy encounters is, is just keep the threshold in mind, right? That you, 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 you sort of, you know, you sort of draw a line and say, how many total challenge ratings uh, is on the edge of dead or is, is, is over deadly? This, this math, by the way, is slightly harder then um, the rule about less than five is it's one quarter instead of a half. So uh, let's pretend they're fourth level. They're four, you have five fourth level characters. This is math I can do. Um, five fourth level characters, the total characters is 20. Half, uh, you want to do a quarter. So that's five, which means um, you have any, any amount of creatures where the CR is five or above is likely deadly, which would be three ogres would probably be deadly. Um, six ghouls is on the edge of deadly, right? That'd be pretty hard for fourth level characters. Uh, so it's a quarter. And the reason why is fifth level things really change. Uh, double you know, characters get multiple attacks. Fireball is in the, in the way. Um, fifth level is really a big jumping point in power for, for characters. I argue there's also another big jump in power at 11th level and another at 16th or 17th level. And so you could probably increase it even more in those levels. But, you know, the, 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 we'll keep things simple because it gets so goofy in those high levels anyway. So the nice thing is I can do that. I have to use a calculator to figure out total levels, but I can keep that threshold in mind and it works. These to me are hard parts. Like encounter building is a hard part of fifth edition, I think. Uh, running theater of the mind is a hard part of running fifth edition. So then the question are like, what are the other hard parts, right? And I, what are the other hard parts? And then I'll tag that into what were the other, what are the other things that you, as a dungeon master, you would have liked to, um, what are the other things as a dungeon master you would have liked Tasha's to include that it did not? And it's because I want to make more of these, right? Um, and a bunch of people had ideas, better traps, but I already have like a trap generator in the Lazy DM workbook. I don't think I want to hit traps again. Um, you know, somebody had a good idea of like weird stuff you'd find in a wizard's pocket. I think that's cool. Random tables are cool. Um, I, again, I have sort of a bunch of random tables in the workbook. So anything that I've already done in the workbook, I'm obviously, unless I feel like it needs an update, like like Theater of the Mind Guidelines or Encounter Building or Hordes, three th big things that are in the workbook that I want to redo, um, I don't think I need much more. Um, Ran Rooster says, does that quick math work well for non-optimized parties? 
So keep in mind all of the encounter building guidelines that you find anywhere, whether you're using Cobalt Fight Club or the Encounter Builder in Dini Beyond or the rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide or the rules in Xanathar's Guide or my original rules in the Lazy DM Workbook or these new ones, they're all loose. They don't, they're not great. And that's because different combinations of players and characters and classes and abilities and magic items and all sorts of things are going to have a big effect. Circumstances, how many rests they've had. Uh, whether they've been, you know, is this the last fight in the day or the first fight in the day? All of these things change the equation so much that you cannot really get a firm grip on it. Better is to just have a loose guideline. Just give me something, right? Some idea of how many ghouls is deadly. 42, 43 ghouls? Okay, that's supposed to be deadly. Yeah, but I know that they're at the top of their game. 43 ghouls is deadly if you're out of spells and you're already turned undead twice and you're out of stuff and they're pouring up the hill. You know, that could be deadly. But if you're fresh and you're at the top and you've got plenty of spells left, 43 ghouls you're going to eat through in no time at level 17. Um, so there's so many other variants that there's no good there's no good equation. You just have to wing it. And the and the you know so that's why mine is as, as simple as it is is because it's already not accurate anyway. Since it's already not accurate, let's make it easy, right? And let's 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 just have a rough gauge, right? And then around here. And that, that's why, you know, that's why having all the tools, you know, yeah, I picked the wrong time to run out of holy water. <laughs> Stop sniffing glue. So, um, yeah, this is, this is where, uh, you really want to have a, just a general gauge because no, no gauge is accurate. There is no accurate gauge for encounter building because every, there's too many variables and too much circumstances that matter. Uh, so I have lots of ideas. Um, what are the other... So yeah, I've been pondering this idea about what are the hard parts. I, I'm curious what you folks in uh, the stream have to say. What do you what do you consider to be the, the sticky bits of 5th edition? Uh, the things you wish Tasha's had um, that it didn't, that you think would help you DM? Uh, that's something that's always on my mind. And it's particularly on my mind why I'm, why I'm working on, on stuff like this. I've got lots of ideas. I've got lots of things that I'm, that I'm working on. Dungeon crawl mechanics. I got you covered. I got, I got a thing for that. Uh, I'll, I'll preview it. Uh, all of this stuff, by the way, I mentioned before, is available to the patrons of Sly Flourish if you want. Uh, every month I put out more of these for patron backers. And there's two types. There's uh, what you just saw. Uh, let's see. I got drive, documents. Um, dungeon crawl mechanics dungeons deep so kind of my, my idea here so these are called uh, uh what are they called uh adventure generators and an adventure generator is a list it's a it's a focused set of random tables to help you build an adventure around a particular theme uh, and I just created one yesterday for one called Aliens, for example, that's based on the movie Aliens. And it was like six tables. And I, I, I tested it with my wife and she loved it. So I'm like, wow, and she really falls for something like that. That means it's good. Um, and uh, so this is one that I did for just general dungeon delving, right? And, and it's high level dungeon delving. So it's not room by room. But it's like, so what are the quests, right? And there's one to 20 quests. Recover, return an artifact, recover a secret, lay a spirit to rest, find multiple artifacts. Sort of different general quests. Then there's monuments for particular rooms that you might run into. Cyclopean statues, faceted prisms, arcane circles. These are things that you'd find inside of a dungeon. Uh, discoveries are the upward beats. Things that you would find that are useful. Um, monsters are the types of monsters you might run into in a particular dungeon. Uh, traps and hazards are just general traps, 
um, that you might that you might run into. Uh, and treasure uh, are things that you may recover. So it's a very, this is like, do you remember the dungeon board game? This is like the, the, the random tables to help you build like the equivalent of the dungeon board game. But you can imagine that you could build an adventure with something like this and a map like, uh, like we picked from, I think I got rid of them all. Uh, you know, a Dyson map and you could fill it out, right? And you could, you could have sort of interesting things that, that happen here. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's an example of like dungeon crawl rules. I mean, they're not really rules. This is more like ways to help you generate a dungeon crawl. Uh, I don't think I have the alien. I think once again, my, it doesn't look like my iCloud drive has updated since the 16th. I wonder why. Uh, um, I think it needs to be updated. Probably something, something's, something's goofy with the, uh, with the iCloud drive. And it's not updating my, my thing. Cause I have the aliens one in here and I'd love to show that one off. Um, whatever uh, so those are ideas uh, shadow of the demon lover reminding me that we're better at adding than subtracting so it takes players uh, ask players to track their damage taken yeah I, I think you should track damage taken and I do that for monsters I treat I, I track damage taken that's a that's a good that's a good thought like a general tip um, um RP prompts for players during travel. I don't always want to run combat encounter every time. Yes. So one of the ones that I want to do here, I did this one for Dungeons Deep. I want to do another one for Wilderness. And I want to do one for Cities, I think. Where, you know, there's sort of like different, you know, essentially just one page of like things that you could have happen inside of a city. There's lots of really good ones for a city already, though. Um, so... Uh, I don't know if I want to recreate the city one because, like, if you do the Waterdeep City Encounters one, Waterdeep City Encounters is a great book of city city based encounters. I highly recommend it for cities. But I think you know I might do one anyway because you know it's not like there can't be more, and it will be nice and complete. The idea of having that sort of in hand in this in this packet, I think, would be would be good. Um, what else? So let's let's you know I don't know the hard parts of five E. I don't really have much more to say, and I'm you know and I'm still thinking about. I mean the problem I don't have any other thoughts about Tasha's because um I want to see it and play more. I will tell you I love the environmental effects in Tasha's. I use those. I've been using them regularly and I love them already. Um, what else do we want to talk about? How about a f we'll, we'll skip over, move this down. Random factions for game inspiration. That's the fun one to talk about. Um, cool stuff that happened in my game. Yeah. No one wants to hear about my game. Uh, this one looks good. Let's move this one up too. So we'll, we'll, uh, quick Fantastic Layers update. Um, for those of you who supported Fantastic Layers on Kickstarter, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, James and Scott and I have been, we just love this project that we've been working on. By the way, that artwork down there uh, is from Fantastic Layers. That is the Ancient Gold Dragon Archmage. Fiendish Ancient Gold Dragon Archmage in the adventure called Hell's Heart. He is badass. I, I wanted to make a single monster that could defeat a 20th level group. And I think I did it because he's really hard. Thousand hit points. Um, so where are we? Things are great. Uh, they are, probably the only area where we are behind is playtesting, And that's not unheard of. Um, so we'll go to our Fantastic Lairs folder here. And we will go to playtests and we will look at the playtest report count. So this is all. So the good news is all of the layers are in 
either playtesting or they've been through playtesting and are now in editing and layout, uh, which is great. We have all of the art and all of the maps for all of them except one. And that one is the one we just recently finished. So we don't, that's, it's not behind. We, we, we are going to have everything. Um, and I'll go through, I'll show you some of the art because it's really great. And uh, a lot of these, even the ones that are still in playtesting, we've started doing like the second round of edits. So um, we, uh, we're already making changes to them and we can continue to make changes. So even though we're, what we're doing is we're not waiting for, um, we're not waiting for the playtest to be done. We want to make sure that like there's no bottleneck anywhere, right? We want to make sure that, that, that everything is moving smoothly through the process and, and we're good on that count. They are either in editing or layout. Uh, or they're in playtesting, and then we're still. So like I've already sent in changes for Blood Rain and for World Eater. Uh, Curse of Black Ice, Curse of Black Ice and Hell's Heart are the other two. And then James, so those are mine, and then James has his, and James has been working on his too. So we are, we're good. It's going to be tight, I think, uh, getting it out before the end of the year. But I think we'll be able to. Um the PDF anyway, the, the, the print version, we're not going to be able to get out this year. I can tell you that because it, it, print, print version takes so long to uh, go through the um, layout process. And we want the PDF in people's hands and to look at it and try it. And that way, we, any embarrassing stuff we find, uh, we can fix before people start paying for print copies. Um, Lair of Lord Whiskers, I want to be, it's not a cat-based adventure, I'm afraid. It is a uh, adventure about uh, were-rats. Um, so they look really great. Uh, what else? What? What are? Is there any other news? All the maps are done except for one. All the art is done except for one. They all look great. Um, Playtests, you know. So we, yeah, we've got aid in playtesting. I think yeah, there's aid in playtesting, and and a couple of them we've got like four. We want to get five playtests before we call it done. But if we only get four, we only get four. And the high level stuff has just been a lot harder to get feedback on than the low level stuff. It takes longer to run them. People have to make big, powerful characters. So the low-level stuff, it was much easier for people to fit it into their regular session, sessions and get us feedback than the high-level stuff. So we're, we're, we're dealing with that. Uh, so uh, let's look at some art. Uh, da, 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 final art and maps. I've got art and click it. So here, I'm going to zip through all of the artwork. I don't remember all the artist names, so I'm not going to be able to, to, to cite all the artist names. But, uh, yeah, so that is for uh, James's adventure, Snar Ashnarl, uh, the Marilith. Oh, I love that Marilith picture. Isn't that great? Maroliths are awesome. Uh, that is from the um, Hydra adventure that's in the Hydra lair. It's a Hydra slash Naga, I think, Guardian Naga. Uh, Crazy Druid. I forget what his story is, but that's a fun one. I like he, he look at that look at that nutty picture. Cockatrice, fiendish cockatrice, or not fiendish, um, fate fate touched cockatrice. Uh, frost giant werewolf. Look at the tiny skull. That's a humanoid skull, so he's very big. Uh, the gold dragon. We saw that. Black dragon. Uh, adult black dragon. Oh, this is a young black dragon lair, level eight version. Uh, Oni. I love that one. Oni's great. Uh, this is the bandit, bandit queen, bandit captain. She's awesome. Again, I love that. I love that that picture. Uh, druid, really angry druid with her angry, angry monsters, feeding a snake. I forget we had two versions of this, and one was really gory, and we kind of changed up the gore a little bit. Uh, I like this one. 
this is the 20th level Tarask adventure. And it's like, how screwed are you when you face both a organic Tarask and a mecha Tarask? And we love like the fight or flight reflex kicking in on these three. The original version of this had somebody, it was like a silhouette of a dude running. And it was like, you probably should run. I just like this one because of like how totally screwed you are. Uh, I love this one too. This is uh, Sticky Toffee. Uh, this is the hag who has a candy shop. And I just, I love her apron with the frills and with a little heart on the front. Cracks me up. Uh, this is Centipede Cultists. This is a popular one. We got a lot of playtests on Centipede Cultists. And I think it's because it's like such a straightforward D&D adventure. Fighting cultists. You can never go wrong fighting cultists. You never feel bad. You know, no matter how many cultists you kill, you never feel bad. Uh, Blue Dragon. Yeah, Ancient Blue Dragon Spellcaster, who's uh, hoarding magic items. I think when you fight her, eventually she's like hurling magic items at you that are exploding. Uh, I love. I didn't see this one till yesterday. Um, I, I saw it in drafts. Uh, this is the the um, Abolith slash Kraken Lair. So there's a giant Kraken in a big piece of crystal with an Abolith around it. I just love that picture so much. I want to make that my background. Um, Lamia. Uh, this is the um, World Eater. That is a a spider-shaped iron golem with an arch mate, uh, with a lich riding around in it. Um, so you don't see the lich, and then this is her laboratory, and that is like a black hole, kind of. It's like a sphere of annihilation. I love this one too. Jack Kaiser did this one, um, and this is the Arena of Blood. I think I don't know if I, uh, this is from. I forget what it's called. The original name for it was uh, uh, "Those Who Are About to Die." I don't know if it's still uh, called that. Horned codpiece, right out of uh, um, here's the uh, vampire cloud giant. I dig that one. And the rakshasa. This is the last one, and uh, it's just so awesome. Isn't that one great? Oh god! And and boy, like trying to figure out his hand is so much fun because rakshasa hands go the other way, and you're like, I know there's something wrong, and you're like, is it wrong in the right way for a rakshasa? Cracks me up, but I just, I, yeah, it's such a great picture. So those are all the pieces. There's 20, I think we said there's 25 pieces of original art. I, I don't know if, oh, cover art, hang on. Uh, art, start, 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 final art maps. Uh, art, cover art, I think there's two. Back cover. No one's seen this one yet. Look at that. This is the cloud giant, um, the cloud, the, the vampire cloud giant castle that is that is drawing the blood out of uh, villagers nearby. So you can see the little tendrils of blood. They're being uh, exsanguinated. Blood's flowing up from them into the castle. Uh, so I thought that that's a pretty good, pretty touching, pretty touching, pretty awesome piece of art from Jack Kaiser. That's going to be the back cover. Or the, it's going to be the back cover. It's probably going to be the cover of the art book. Um, so, Yeah. So that is, I think that's everything on Fantastic Queers. If you guys have any other questions about it, I will consider that topic closed. Um, yeah, so fifth edition. So this kind of ties into the hard parts of 5e and like what works and what doesn't, what needs to be worked on still and future and, oh my God, 6e. Um, and there's been a lot of interesting stuff on on, on uh, Twitter talking about this topic. And uh, one of them is um, that, Jeremy Crawford mentioned the fact that the one of the things they did in Tasha's is uh, try to address some of the problematic nature of attributes like and races in, in D&D. And the idea of like orcs are dumb 
and um, and they're dumb and big and strong, and uh, elves are smart and be beautiful, you know. And it's very sort of like you know, it just it, it tastes weird now, right? It's bad. Like, yeah, I get it. They're not the same as like human race and the way we've treated. They're species. Yeah, there's all kinds of like nature talk. But that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about sentient beings who are being typecast and stereotyped based on physical attributes. And that that does not work these days, right? So in Tasha's, they started to address it by saying you have flexible racial attributes. You can pick any, you know, you can pick any race and and you can move the attributes around, which I think is fantastic. And I love it. I already started doing it for all my games. My I've been house ruling that now since my last run. So my Avernus game and both of my Eberron games allowed for flexible attribute points. Um, and there was a lot of criticism uh, that said, like, that's it, right? Like, there's so many problems and that's it. And so I don't know if they touched on, I wanted to look at it because I don't remember. Um, did they talk about it at all other than you have flexible races? Did they mention the fact that it's that, that it's problematic or anything like that? And I don't think they did. Um, I don't recall them doing it. Like, I like what they, yes, yeah, so they call it customizing your origin. So they stopped using the term race in here, although they still say it's your race, but they, they refer to it as origin now, which I think is probably smart. You know, the question is like, are they going to change it in the core books and how do you do that? That's, we're gonna bookmark that topic for a second. Um, do they talk about alignment at all, right? So we already know that alignment is, is open, but they don't, they don't have sort of the other house rule, um, which I've heard Watsi designers say but uh, which is like all sentient races, you know, do I mean, it says question about demons and devils. Right. But generally speaking, I think they said humanoids can be of any any alignment. Right. That you can have good goblins and you can have good kobolds and you get bad kobolds and you can have, you know, good drow and bad drow. And that they're not all like if you look at the alignments that they have in the monster manual for different humanoid races, um, can they, can they switch up? And then it brings up questions like, what about gnolls? Like the origin of gnolls is really different than the origin of like lizard folk, right? Lizard folk have families and they are born. And, but, but gnolls are like hyenas that ate, you know, abyssal meat and became what they are. So, you know, are they really demons and fiendish or are they really humanized? I think in the, I think, the, and I think Crawford mentioned, somebody mentioned either Crawford or Dan Dillon said, um, they actually screwed up the uh, gnolls are considered humanoid, and they said they probably should have been fiends, given their given their like you know demonic origin. They probably should have been um, they sh probably shouldn't have been humanoids, and I kind of agree with that. It depends on the kind of gnoll you have, right? And then, but then I think in Eberron, I think you can have gnolls that are actually like real. They they, they were born right. They have families and stuff. Uh, how do I turn off this thing? Uh, from Chrome for the time being. There we go. Oh God, I gotta remove all this stuff. Remove from Chrome. I have too many plugins that are adding stuff. D and D Beyond and Foundry and everything else. So, um, uh, so Dragon here says, in my setting, orcs have a demonic origin. So that's fine, right? You're and right, you know. Don't get me wrong. And I think everybody kind of agrees with this. Whatever you do in your home game is up to you, right? That, that Nobody's getting on to anybody else's case about their home game. Um, it's when one promotes their home game as like, this is the way, 
right? Then then that's then that's that can be trouble. Um, and you, you gotta ask yourself like how you want it to be portrayed in your in your world. But then there's also how Wizards portrays it, and uh, some of it's bad. Like you know, I, I I'm getting where people. So anyway, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there was there were there were complaints on Twitter saying Tasha's didn't go far enough, and they're right. Um, and then there was a response. Why can't I get rid of the search bar? Uh, there was a response from. Um, uh, Jeremy Crawford did an interview where he said, this is not the end of something. This is the beginning of something. It's going to be years before we fully address this. And we're starting it. And that, that got a lot of pushback of like, why is it taking years? And I'm kind of sympathetic on wizard side, which is like, they're a company, man. Like it takes them time to move. And like, they don't just put stuff out. Right. And first of all, they don't put out a lot of books, period. So do we really expect that they're going to solve this problem in a matter of months, you know, two months? I don't think so. The other part that bothers me is like, why is Wizards the one responsible for the community on this? Why are we giving them that authority, right? Like Deuce, and then, and so I know that the, the um, uh, if you look at, this is talk about people who are putting their money where their mouth is, putting their energy where their mouth is, uh, is uh, Ancestries and Culture. This this book right here by, by Arconic Press. And they were the ones, Adamantine bestseller, and it's only been out since August. August it came out. August, September, October, November. Four months it's been out. Not even really four months. And it's an adamantine bestseller, right? Holy cow. And they put their money where they're... I bought this and it's great. 70 pages long and has all kinds of customization options for how to handle ancestry and culture in your D&D game. And it plugs right into 5e. Bingo. And they didn't do it on the guild, which I also think is smart because you don't need to. Um, adamantine Mina has sold 5,000 copies. Um... It, it means that it, it is the best-selling ranking you can get on drive-thru. Uh, and I'm proud of the fact that Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master is there, too. I think, I don't know if the Lazy DM workbook is. But Return is also an anime bestseller. But it took longer to get there. I'll tell you that. Um, it's a Mithra. Uh, Lazy DM workbook is a Mithra bestseller, which means it sold 2,000 copies or 1,000 copies or something like that. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, they put their money where their mouth is. They also are the one that posted the tweet that kind of pushed wizards uh, saying it wasn't far enough. And I'm like, I mean, you could push them. You could also just promote your own product, which is our clearly selling, right? Like you're, you're handling it, right? Like you're, you're taking care of it. And this is my point. Like we cannot expect that wizards is always going to do the right thing. Right. And we shouldn't, you know, if we, if we're banking our hobby on the fact of what wizards does, we're screwing up because Wizards is a company. They're driven by money. They are a corporation. They do not have feelings. They do not care about things. They don't hate things. They don't love things. They are a company. A company does not have personality, right? Individuals do. And we know, like, you know, Jeremy Crawford and Dan Dillon are great people. So, yeah, D uh, Draga here says, I don't rely on Watsy for anything. You shouldn't rely on Watsy for anything. I don't rely on them. I'm always curious and I love their stuff and I buy it all and I run it and I get mad about stuff that I don't like and I'm happy about stuff that I do like. Um, but I don't count on them. They, they're not the they're not the hobby, right? This this is ours. The five E is ours, and and you know I'm happy that they made an OGL. Although even the arguments about whether or not you need an OGL are, are really sound. Um, but we can do what we want with it. So um, so that that matters. So Sinistar uh, says, "Where's the backlash stemming from?" I don't understand. Um, and I warn you, uh, any dicks in my chat are going to get banned. So don't be a dick. Um, 
But I'll give you an example. The goblin, right? Uh, so here's an example where they have neutral evil, right? So that means every goblin is neutral evil. There's none of them that obey the law. There's none of them that ever act altruistically. If you're in a, if you're in a uh, forest uh, and run into a goblin, never will they come and say, I know you're starving to death. Here's a, here's a hamburger, right? They'll never help you. All goblins, right? And remember, these are not... Goblins here are not fey creatures. They're not creatures of mythology. They have an origin. They have, they have, you know, they, they have children and they have societies and everything. They are, you know, they're not, they're not mythical, right? Mythical creatures, you could argue, have certain ways that they always are because that the mythology drove them that way. And you could also argue about like where the myth came from. That's not what we're talking about here. You read their description. Goblins, goblins are small, black-hearted humanoids that lair into spoiled dungeons and other dismal settings. Individually weak, they gather in large numbers to torment other creatures. Every one of them, every goblin is a small, black-hearted humanoid, right? Give me a break. <laughs> like, everyone? So that's where the problematic, that idea of, like, they are, so the goblin is, I mean, you could say, is it a race? Is it a species? It's a species, whatever. But it's clearly an, 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 a humanoid with a 10 intelligence. And it's saying like every one of them are bad. And, and it's not, it, it, you know, people get hung up on the, yeah, but goblins aren't, we're not referring to goblins as a metaphor for a specific race in our real world. We're saying that that kind of, you know, how do you say it? That kind of talk sounds a lot like, you know, our, our racist grandmother who's like, they're all like that, right? It's so stereotyped. And the, that type of language is stereotyped. It's one thing when you're talking about pit fiends, right? It's something else when you're talking about goblins and goblinoids, right? Malicious glee. So every one of these you read and you're like, all of them, right? If you just add the word all of them, you can realize like how broken this idea is, right? If you go to, you know, orc, right? And just this is like, you know, aggressive. Every orc is just pissed off all the time. All of them, right? Uh, or look, like, oh my God, it, it does make me like, I read it and I'm like, I'd be embarrassed if I wrote this. Orcs are savage humanoids with stooped postures, piggish faces, and prominent teeth that resemble tusks. They gather in tribes that satisfy their bloodlust by slaying any humanoids that stand again. All of them, every one of them, right? Give me a break. You know, so, so when I think about the arguments that have been happening on, on, on Twitter about this, this is, this is what kind of interests me. Um, that's where it's showing its age, right? So the interesting thing is mechanically, I was, I was talking to my good friend, Chris, I don't know if Chris is here in chat today. Um, I, but he's an awesome dude. Chris and I've been playing D and D together for like 15 years and very smart D and D dude. Um, and, uh, I think about things he has said all the time. Uh, he brought up an example in my mind that his voice was in my head when Atasha's came out and I saw the new character or class features. And I was, I remember him talking about what it was like when, um, uh, is everybody being cool in chat? Warn me if anybody's not being cool in chat, by the way, I can't keep my eye on it all the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think everybody's being cool. So, um, Oh, so we're talking about fifth edition. And one thing I say about fifth is like, boy, I'll tell you more. So I've played second, 3.5, fourth, fifth, Pathfinder and other bunch of other systems. And fifth edition 
probably some of it's me. I just, I'm becoming, you know, I'm becoming like more, uh, I'm fine with what I've got than I am like, oh, I love new things. But fifth edition just play, like, I don't have any house rules that I need. I had some house rules. I'm not going to have any, I don't think, because it doesn't need them. It, it runs fine, right? Like, I mean, I've got the hard parts and I've got little one-page guidelines, but the fact that I can write like a one-page guideline, there are things I wish it had and there are things I wish it didn't have. None of those are getting in the way of me enjoying fifth. And it's, it's also like a default RPG for me. Like I'm happy with it. I don't feel like I need to play another system and I haven't found any system that I like so much more that I'm willing to put fifth edition aside. I love the cipher system. I love Numenera. I've got a shelf full of Numenera stuff up there. I love it. It's, it's got, and it's got stuff that I definitely like better than fifth, but not enough to break away from fifth. Fifth just plays fine. Right. And I'm happy with it mechanically. When I think about the things that really don't hold up well, it's that stuff. It's, you know, the idea that all orcs are a bunch of brutish, you know, savages who are blood filled with bloodlust, right? It's that all gnome, all goblins are a bunch of thieving bastards, right? It's that stuff doesn't play well anymore. And when I think about what I, I don't, I don't want to make a prediction. So, so not, you know, people in the chat about you never talk about. I say this all the time. Sorry, sorry for repeating myself a lot. I repeat myself a lot. Um, experts don't know what the hell they're talking about. Don't listen to them. And if you consider me an expert, then don't listen to me by default. But even if I'm a layman, don't listen to me either. Uh, get lots of opinions and, and make your own judgments. Um, and so I don't know what they're going to do with six, but it wouldn't surprise me. I'll say things that wouldn't surprise me and things that wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me. And I, I kind of hope that they rewrite the monster manual. Uh, and there's two things I would like him to do with it. One, fix that crap, right? Rewrite the descriptions of monsters. And it's fine to say orcs of grumsh, right? Like orcs of grumsh can be a bunch of bloodthirsty assholes, right? Perfect. Not all orcs. And there could be orcs of Timora who are not a bunch of jerks. So, uh-oh, uh Sinistar says, I'm questioning the lazy DM method. Oh, don't listen to me. Yes, damn right. You should not. You should question the lazy DM method. If you're not questioning the method, you're not following the book. Because I believe that I have a whole chapter devoted to that in the Lazy Dungeon Master Workbook uh, called, where is it? Developing Your Own Style, the last chapter, chapter 29. And this chapter says, we've walked many paths to this book and have explored many ideas, but each of us still at the start of our own personal journey. As a GM, we all develop our own individual styles, blah, 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 blah. Whatever style of play, the concept of Lazy Dungeon Master resonates with you, blah, 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 blah. Make your own style. Use the book, build your own style. Don't listen to it. You know, I I don't, I change my mind all the time. Um, uh, Crawford has indicated and demonstrated in recent books, alignment is for individuals, not races. Yes, I think the monster manual needs to show that. Um, so uh, why doesn't Wizards just put something like that at the end of all their products? P uh, put something like uh, choose your own. I think they kind of do. Yeah, I mean, they don't say it quite the same way, but mine's more casually written than theirs. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think fifth edition, I think actually fifth edition's problem is it is trying to be all things to all people. Problem. I mean, problem, you know, problem for a book that's been outselling and where they've doubled the amount of people playing D&D &D since the freaking 80s. You know, and that's my point. Like it clearly works. And, and my friend Chris, you know, who we both like nitpick at it. And he's like, yeah, well, it's the easiest to teach or it's very easy to teach and it's very easy to keep playing. And my friends and I have been playing it weekly for six years and we don't see any sign of stopping. So, 
uh, I think fifth edition is really strong. I think the thing that is hurting it is this stuff. And I would not be surprised. So there was two things. I mentioned it. I would love them to redo the monster manual. Um, I don't know if they have to go back to the DMG or not. I haven't heard anybody that's shown me anything in the DMG that is really problematic. Maybe there's something. If anybody knows of anything and, and that, that that's a real problem, let me know. Um, I would love them to uh, rewrite the problematic stuff. I'd really like them to rethink uh, high CR monsters and the amount of damage they do. They are weak. And I feel like you really have to beef them up. They, they, they need to... They have some big-ass spreadsheet that they use to figure out monster power. They need to fix that spreadsheet and make high CR monsters way more dangerous. Pit Fiends should be twi doing twice as much damage as they do. Almost all the monsters above CR 10 should be doing like more than twice, you know, twice the amount of damage that they do. They're just not threatening for high CR, for high-level players. So mechanically, I'd like to see that. But I think more importantly, they need to fix the other one. And the nice thing is they could do that and still be 5th edition, right? It's not even 5.5. It's like, no. You can play with either monster manual. They both work, right? One is not better than the other. It's sort of like essentials with with fifth and fourth. Like, yeah, the old one worked. You can use the old or the new. Pick which one. The only difference is, I think, um, and I would probably start using the new one, right? But I don't think like there's not a compatibility problem, and you don't have to even call it a new version. It's still D and D. It's just, hey, we did a reprint of the monster manual, and it's got this new stuff in it. I would love them to do that. Uh, do I have anything else to say about that? I don't think so. Uh, I missed a bunch of, ch uh, I'm not going to talk about racist biology and all that. That's, you know, I get you, but I just, I just feel that the ongoing story of D and D is they base rules off of changes with each edition, but monsters are still stuck in their core concepts. They've changed the concepts of monsters a lot though. If you look back at, if you look at some of the monsters that they have in there, they've, they've definitely changed them. Some for the better, some not. Um, there's a lot of misogyny that's still wired into a lot of monsters. Um, and I think that's kind of a bummer. Uh, I watched your YouTube video about Notion and the software is amazing, but I look for, uh, but it took forever to figure out how to spell Zettelkasten and figure out what you were talking about. <laughs> Ignore that, man. That's just where I keep my notes. Uh, that has nothing to do with D&D, &D, so don't worry about that. Uh, if you want to, no one wants to hear me talk about that. Zettelkasten is just a way of organizing notes where you, you, you network, you network thoughts together. I thought it was kind of a cool way to keep um, notes together in Notion I'm only doing that for stuff like my show notes. It's not for the D&D stuff. So don't worry about Zettelcast if you're doing D&D. It's not that interesting. Google it. Monsters know what they mean is doing far more useful than alignments. Yeah, correct. And it'd be actually interesting if they if they included, like, I know people would love to have a little tactic section in there. Um, I think I always do double the damage that high CR monsters do. Yeah, if you double the amount, it's a clue. Like, like double the amount of damage. Take a look at the damage and figure out how close it is. Um, and then figure you double it. Uh, do you prefer Cobalt Press's method for monsters? I do because they do more damage. Um, they are overpowered. Cobalt Press monsters are overpowered for... Um, I actually know why. Uh, if you're curious about why, I can tell you. Uh, so there are... If you look at the Dungeon Master Guide rules for building monsters, that is actually... I talked to Crawford about this, I think. When I had him on the show, I think we talked about this. I don't, I'm not giving away any secret sauce. I'm almost sure. Uh, and so when you are a third-party publisher that's making a fifth edition monster, you're going to use the guidelines that are in the Dungeon Master's Guide. If you, uh, however, Wizards has a different, uh, I think it's a spreadsheet. I think I've heard that they have a big-ass spreadsheet with all kinds of math in it. And it calculates monsters with much more uh, detail than... Uh, the guidelines in the DMG, which is rougher. And it turns out the extra detail increases the challenge ratings of monsters based on their capabilities, 
which means if you want a monster at a certain challenge rating, you have to turn other things down when you give them another feature. More so with the internal spreadsheet than if you're using the external stuff on the Dungeon Master's Guide, which means monsters built with the Dungeon Master's Guide rules are going to be harder than the ones that are built with their internal sheet. I'd argue that their internal sheet needs some work uh, because I think it over I think it overweights some of the capabilities that they're giving. And that's why you've got craziness like the, um, if you look at a lot of the Morden Kanan monsters are so underpowered. And it's because they added like one feature and that lowered, if they wanted to keep the monster at the same CR, they had to lower another dial in order to turn another dial up or turn a feature on. And I think the features are overweighted. Uh, so I think they need to redo that. And I, boy, the problem is like, you're not going to redo Morden Kanan's monsters. You know, they're not going to do another Morden Kanan, but boy, you know, they're, they're terrible. Some of them are terrible. Um, so yeah, it means when you look at monsters, like the two groups that I've been looking at recently and running in my games are Cobalt Press Monsters and monsters from um, Monty Cook Press, Monty Cook Games, who put out uh, Beasts of Flesh and Steel and Arcana of the Ancients, and both of those have monsters in there, and they hit hard. They're good. They're good and they're powerful and they do a lot of damage and they scare the hell out of people. So I recommend it. Um, so, uh, what else? I'm missing, I'm missing other questions. If you have a question I haven't answered, state it again. Uh, when do you prefer Cobalt Press? Yes, read interesting criticism. The DMJ uh, is written for people familiar with D&D, largely returning at a fourth. I don't know. A lot of people, the DMG doesn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of love. I think it's great, but I think it's a better reference than it is like an instruction book. And that's fine because people buy Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Um, 4E had the same problem. First monster manual was written was by far the worst. It got better. Yeah. The difference was it wasn't just power. There was some power there. There was like monsters were inflated on hit points and did too little damage, but they also like, boy, you want to see an example of like how they screwed it up. Look at the original fourth edition Dracolich. And then the one that came out in the monster vault and the fourth edition Dracolich was a terrible monster. It stunned all the time. It was terrible. Um, so that was more than just kind of tuning damage up and down. I really feel like they could just tune the damage up on a lot of monsters. Um, you know, so we'll see. Do you feel that this, do you feel your dissatisfaction with many of the 5e official modules may be exasperated by some of the systems used, such as lack of support for a certain type of content? Uh, oh, hey. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, I feel like, I talked about this in Discord. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's causing the problem, but I, I do think it's a bit of a too many cooks situation. Um, they freelance a lot of the material uh, in recent adventures and have done so since Horde, uh, since um, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, Dragon Heist. Since Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So like five, five adventures that they've gone back through. And I, I feel like when you have a bunch of authors writing different sections, the thing gets kind of disjointed. And I think they sort of paste it together at the end and patch it together, and it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really work. Um, that's Ryan, right? Ryan from 2C Gaming. Your name escaped my head for a minute, sorry. And I suck with names. And um, so I, th I feel like it's more there. I'm not blaming anything. I don't know. My argument is I just want them to do better with published adventures. Uh, I don't think that they're getting the same attention that the other books probably have, which is probably okay. But I feel like it was even better when they were outsourcing this stuff. Like I felt that like they outsourced um, Ghost of Saltmarsh to uh, Cobalt Press and I thought that was a fine book. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm going to start digging into Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and I've already got problems. And I'm running Dragon of Icepire, or um, I'm running Descent to Navernus, and I got problems, right? And um, yeah, I wish they didn't have these problems, and I feel like they're solvable problems. I feel I feel like these are things that they could have done differently and would have been better. Um, so I think their production process is a bit of a mess when it comes to adventures. And I think part of it is they outsource a lot and then they bring it in. I've heard that they change things last minute. I, you know, it's a lot of things going on. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering, is I'm answering your question? And we talk all the time. I don't know why you're asking me. We could, you know, you know what I think. Uh, do you think wizards will update how traps work? I don't know. I find it difficult to implement in game thieves tools, detecting traps, etc. Yeah, there might be more there. I think I, I think I had a article about this. Um, the flow of trap detection flow of trap detection there it is and um it was really about like what's the work process um you're the best ryan by the way i'm not giving you shit i'm, I'm totally happy to answer your questions uh mechanical flow of trap detection like how does it actually work right and um i wrote wow this is a long article so here's an article I wrote about about the, how that how that kind of works and like you know what's the flow and yeah they probably could do a better job of describing that maybe that's a good uncovered secret is like discussing you know the workflow of traps uh, and you can also throw in here the the unknown rule about dark dark vision and passive perception which is if you are in no light with dark vision um, that means you are a disadvantage on your passive perception you're minus five on passive perception if you don't have light so you really do want to have light. Uh, Isang Bird says it didn't know Ghost of Saltmarsh was outsourced. Yes, it was given to Cobalt Press. Um, Cobalt, Cobalt Press put together uh, um, put together that book. Yeah, and it was great, right? I think Cobalt Press does great work. I love them. Um, what else? What else we got to talk about? I think I covered that to death. Um, Perception, investigation, avoidance. Yeah, kind of the workflow. That's probably worth, I might, I might, that's not a bad idea uh, for a potential uncovered secret. I'm putting that on my to-do list. Uh, a trap detection uncovered secret. Sort of a clarification, right? Like, I, 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 you know, I don't think you're the only one, whoops, uh, who's had kind of trouble with that idea. Um, uh, e says question looking for a wish list for the holidays. You showed so much love, uh, for the holidays, so, so much love on, on Cobalt Press that I'm wondering if anyone has a suggestion for one product from them I should look into. Yes, whoa, what number one product you will probably get if you want a book that you can read for the rest of your life. The mid, the Midgard, um, world book. This guy, uh, it is a um, – this is – it's huge, and it's got so much stuff in it. Hang on. I'll, I'll give you a little preview uh, if I can find it. <laughs> I think I'm going to – Midgard World Book. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. It is a 466-page source book about Midgard. 
Uh, it's got, and it was written by a ton of people, including Dan Dillon, Richard Green, great designers, John Sawaski, obviously Wolfgang Bauer did the, 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 the primary development. It is available for fifth edition. Um, and it is just, I've never, I haven't gotten through it. Uh, oh, and they say it's on sale for 18 bucks. Yeah, this is not a bad one to have physically though. Let me let me show you my physical one. I have the simulated uh, leather collector's edition of it, and it's a meaty tome. This is big, big book. Uh, beautiful maps, big poster maps, gods, pantheons. This is like, you know, when everybody talks about like, I like making my own world, I'm going to piss a bunch of people off with this. I'm like, you know, how, you know, you're going to make a world great. You're not going to make this and you can get it for 18 bucks. Like, you know, oh, so I love this idea. I love just falling away into a world. And you, if even if you have your own world, steal, steal from this, go buy it and steal. So if I had to get just one book, I'd probably get that one because I think it also will last like, they say it's for 5th edition, but I don't know if there's any mechanics in here. You know, it's all places and adventure seeds and ideas and, like, it goes on and on. It's fantastic. So, I don't see anything. Like, I don't see any mechanics in here. There's no... Because they, they, they moved all of, all of their monsters are in their other books and all of their player options are in other books. So it's just a great big book of, of world. And the idea of like buying a world that's been in development as long as it has and Wolfgang Bauer's a genius in this, God, you're getting a good deal. Double ribbon, does it have a double ribbon? It does. Triple ribbon, it's got three ribbons because it's so big. Get that. You want one book, get that. Love it. I mean, it's just a monster. It's a monster book and it's got like cool, you know, Ah, oh, great stuff. And he's been working on it forever. So it's got such detail in it. Yeah, love it. Uh, what else? Uh, Esong Bird says, yeah, the Monster Codex. Yeah, so the, he's got three monster books now, right? He's got Tome of Beast 1, Tome of Beast 2, and uh, the Creature Codex. And they're all great. And, you know, sometimes you just grab a book and look through. So what I do is, like, I don't, you know, I did this for uh, my Eberron game. I knew I wanted weird-ass mutant monsters running around in the Mornland, so I just grabbed Tome of Beast 2 and went through Tome of Beast 2 and picked out some. You don't have to go through all of them. You just pick a couple. Um, so that works. Uh, what else? Uh, where's my checkbox? Go back to here. Uh, random factions for game inspiration. This is a short thing that I'll, that I'll give. I don't know. And, and, and again, you got, you got questions, bring them up. Um, happy to talk about anything. Um, so this is something where I was thinking about my wife's game and I knew, so I, I showed, I showed the map of the game that I'm running with my wife. Right. And I knew like, she's going to go down here and there's going to be some encounters with like shadows and mechanical spiders and everything like this. Um, this should be a podcast. There is a podcast, uh, as a matter of fact, and this will be on it. I think maybe, probably why not? Right. Uh, so if you go to Podbean, uh, and you go to Sly Flourish. Sly Flourish is lazy DM rep. There you go. Subscribe. It's sort of a stealth launch. I don't advertise this. Um, but there is a podcast here. And it has, uh, 
is all this is now up to it's it's all the lazy dm prep ones and this thing's on here too so there you go it's podcast. it's unedited sorry you'll hear a lot of typing you'll hear a lot of amen and han and me clicking around sorry m1 dude um uh i don't generate the maps those are dyson logos go to dysonlogos.com for your maps dysonlogos.blog for maps so yeah, so I was playing in my, I was, I was thinking about my wife's game and I was like, man, I, I don't know where to go. Like she's going to have these gates that could take her anywhere in Eberron. And I became sort of paralyzed with, man, I'm going to have to sit down with the Eberron book and figure out like a good place to go. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just roll? And I, so I went to my, uh, I have an article. I have two 1D100 Eberron factions, right? And, um, I pulled up this uh, PDF. You can, here's the link. Um, uh, I got a cat at the door. He's very upset not being able to come in here. And uh, I just rolled and I got Aramai. Um, no, a Andwar, right? And I was like, oh, it could go to Andwar. And it occurred to me just like when you're stuck for something to do when you don't have an idea and you know, like you need three options or whatever, grab whatever random lists you can find that makes sense and roll on them because boy, you can get some really good ideas from it. And that idea of like randomness to kick you out of a rut uh, really felt good to me. It felt powerful. And I've talked about it before and I've written about it before. And then it's, but sometimes it takes a, another shot. Go, oh yeah, I should roll. And that's where like, again, the Dungeon Master's Guide gets a lot of crap, but the Dungeon Master's Guide is filled with lots of tables you can roll on to get ideas for your D&D game. You know, if you're ever stuck, roll, roll, roll on that. And then, you know, two that I think are really helpful, having a random list of factions for your game world, whether it's your own, whether it's Eberron, Forgotten Realms. Here's the Eberron one, but I also have a Forgotten Realms one. Um, have, is it factions? 1D100 Forgotten Realms factions. So I have another one here. I'll paste this one too. Um, you know, and you ever need an idea about like, you know, what an adventure or something that they find or some kind of cool thing or just anything, roll on this list, you know, roll a couple of times. You don't like the answer? You know, roll a couple of times and then just sort of let your mind sort of wander with the results of that. And I think there is, in the world of D&D, I think there's nothing quite so powerful as a random, randomly picked things that are then, I'm not saying this right at all, a human brain powered by randomness is super powerful, right? It's super powerful. And I think I wrote about this. And what's interesting is like, if you want to get nerdy, machine learning, that's how machine learning stuff works, right? It mixes randomness with um, direction and recognizes the fact that randomness has this big play in the world. And so a lot of the algorithms that power artificial intelligence stuff have elements of randomness in there because it's it works better than if it doesn't. It's, it, it does a thing called overfitting. And overfitting is essentially like falling into a rut, right? If all you ever do are watch the Lord of the Rings movies, then your Lord of the Rings... Uh, then all of your adventures are going to be able to go to the rings, right? And that's overfitting, right? And everyone's going to know it because everyone else watched Lord of the Rings. But if you can say like, well, I like Lord of the Rings ideas and I want to, you know, but I'm also going to add these other ideas and I roll randomly for it. You start to add it and then it widens out and then you're less, you're not overfitting. So I think there's there's something compared there. I'm going to open the door so the cat can come in. Come on, Kennedy. I don't know what you want to do. You just want the door open. Cat just wants the door open. Um, randomness. 
so I have an article. Random Creativity in Dungeons and Dragons is an article I wrote a while ago, a couple years ago. I use Empty Black as an example who randomly generates titles to his uh, titles to his products. And, you know, he doesn't just randomly generate them and run them. He randomly generates a bunch and he looks through them and he gets ideas and he pieces them together and he cuts stuff out and he fixes them. And that's that value, that, that curated randomness. I guess that's really what I'm talking about is curated randomness, right? Figuring out how to mix random nature with create, with your own brain to come up with really creative solutions. And that, it worked for me. So it's just something I thought was really, you know, a, a, a thing to be reinforced because uh, it worked. It worked really help. Um, what else? Uh, any other topics that people want to talk about today? I've got more things, of course. Uh, 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 I'll look into Storm King's, Storm King's Thunder swing set park. I like the idea of a sandbox. Boy, Storm King's Thunder is a sandbox. It is a great big sandbox. Um, yeah, curated randomness. Um, yeah, I wrote some Storm King's Thunder articles. I like it. It's a fine adventure. It's just, it's so wide. It's so big and so wide and so many places that are have too little detail. It's actually almost a better source book than it is an adventure. Um, but I'm not, it's fine. And like I ran it for two groups and we, we had a great time with both. Um, so Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. I'm starting to think about um, getting my session zero notes together for, for Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. I haven't, I need to, I, I read the first chapters and stuff like that. And I need to kind of dig in further. I'm still like a month or more away from starting to run it. So I've got time, but I, you know, I figure I might as well get some homework done early. And um, so I've started to think about like, what are the, you know, what are the big, um, uh, you know, the big points of, of this campaign? Like what are the main, you know, when you think about the main theme and I'm already starting to get my head around a theme and the theme I want to run is the adventures we have. Uh, the idea that like Icewind Dale is cut off and the characters are the heroes that we have in hand, not the ones we need. No one from the sword coast is coming here to save us. No, you know, the, the rest of the world doesn't care what's happening up here in the North. We're a small bunch of towns barely surviving anyway. And now this thing has happened and now we don't know, we might go extinct, but we have the heroes we have today and you're solving small problems, right? Like the, 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 the general thought of it is the heroes we have solving small problems, right? And, and it's not, it's like, you know, we, there's a murderer loose in 10 towns or, you know, we're lost all our ale. So it's small quests, small, you know, local hero kind of stuff. And I like that theme. Um, this isn't the, you know, rise of Tiamat, right? This isn't the, um, uh, you know, all the lords of all the, all the demon princes of the abyss are coming out and you need to save the world. This isn't everyone who dies. Their soul is getting destroyed by a giant machine down in Chalt. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is, uh, this is small, small problems. Right. And I, and I dig that. And then, and then secrets under the ice, you know, I actually, I've started a rhyme of the frost maiden, um, notion notebook and I'm, I'm starting to get my session zero notes. Um, you know, and it looks like I already kind of started putting, putting things together, you know, um, uh, with the six truths, you know, sun hasn't risen and, and, um, uh, yes, the six truths. I don't know if I have six, it might be just three. Um, um, Secrets lie buried under the ice. 
I don't think these need to be capitalized. Um, so I'm just starting to get my head around it um, uh, to see what kind of campaign I want to run and make sure that it fits the themes that are actually in the adventure because what's the point of running an adventure if you're not going to try to stick with the themes too much? Um, uh, uh, so I don't know if I'm going to... Truths of Icewind. Is it Icewind Dale? Yeah. What's that whole area called? The Frozen North? Um, so I'm just starting to get my notes together. I'm going to put this together into a nice one-page campaign handout. Um, I was trying to think of, I don't know if I'm going to succeed in this, although I'll probably have to do it once I see what the characters choose, but as they start to pick options from Tasha's, I'd like to try to connect the Tasha options to, um, uh, you know, to Icewind Dale. Like, why are they getting those things? So if they pick any of the psionic stuff, what is, you know, something is causing some of those secrets under the ice are, are, are changing people's minds physically so that now psychic they're they're sort of connected to psychic energy uh villains i don't have all the villains down yet you know and uh, the other trick and I've, I've asked people about this is um um uh who are the you know who's the group patron um i want to offer like three different potential group patrons i've started talking about this in discord i wish i paid more attention and started writing them down because i thought there were some good ideas about which uh, which NPCs would make for a good group patron to begin with. Um, and I, because I want the character, I, I, it's just easier for me if the characters are already together. Like they've all been, you know, together. Um, I think that that would be, you know, it's easier when there's a reason why they're all together to begin with. Uh, have you had a chance to look through the 40 page Spelljammer 5e conversion using Dark Matter? I have not. Uh, someone homebrewed and posted under our Unearth Arcana. That's cool. Um, I've not seen it though. And I'm not as much of a spell jammer guy. So, um, races, I'm probably going to limit the races to all, everything in the player's handbook, plus the Goliath and the Furbolg. I think we're just going to stick with that. I don't know if people need to have more than that. Um, I don't think, are there any house rules? I don't think so. We will be playing with the only house rule is that, you know, uh, uh, so I guess which books, right? Um, and we'll be playing with the player's handbook Tasha's and Xanathar's I don't think I'm going to do the core. I don't think you need to do a core plus one if you're including those. Um, uh, so I, you know, I'm basically allowing all of it, right? Like, um, I don't think there's any, you know, I'm being pretty open uh, about, um, 
pretty open on what they can choose. Um, so any other character option limitations? I don't think so. I think I'll just let them do what they want. And they can even use the custom, uh, the custom options uh, for it. Um, uh, right now, I don't think, I don't know if I've got any other house rules. Um, I think I've already talked about group patrons. Uh, safety tools. All my groups have been playing together for a long time now. I think the main thing to say um, is that we will be, you know, the game will be PG-13. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, I might mention some things about lines and veils. Generally, like, sex stuff is all veiled. Um, no, you know, line, no lines on, on any kind of forced, you know, any kind of sexual assault or rape or anything like that is all off the table. Um, but, and if anybody else has other things, then they can send me a, uh, a, a private message and I'm happy to address it as we go. Um, generally uh, so i guess like thematically is there a movie that this kind of fits right it could be like you can generally expect it's going to be like x of course the thing comes to mind but the thing is pretty hardcore although there's not i mean you know are there other movies of people kind of stuck up in the ice i don't know um So I'll write up a thing about that, but generally, um, alive. So 30 days of night is so gory. I just watched it. Hey, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> um, and, uh, it's not really fitting the theme of this. Um, uh, it's not fitting the theme of this adventure as I see it really. Um, probably the thing, I don't know. The thing I'm sure is rated R, right? Um, I don't know. I can't find it. I'm pretty sure it's rated R. Uh, the Shining's not so bad, you know. Yeah, it's R. But I'll probably still stick to PG-13. Um, so, yeah, and I'll ask if you have any, you know, it, it's going to be about sort of isolation, you know. I mean, you'll see the themes of it. So the question is if any of the aspects of the themes uh, are, are troublesome, let me know. And a lot of times it's like I'll, I'll describe it sort of casually to everybody to get an idea if they think it's okay. Um but I don't see this, like, if you read the adventure, the adventure isn't nearly as filled with horror as um, uh, uh, as you would think, given that the thing was, a, was like, a big motivator. Um, 
frozen isolation monsters, new mysterious powers. Those are good. Those are good theories. So yeah, I need one more faction. So I, I got a lot of work to do, obviously, but I'm just starting to get my my thoughts together on this. Uh, what else? Anything else interesting to talk about? Uh, early thoughts on Frostman. Any other questions about Frostman? Cool stuff that happened in my games. Is anything? You know, I mean, I talk about my games all the time. Um, I will talk about like the when things click because it's 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 uh it's and and the problem is I don't have great um I don't have great examples of this. But what I've noticed is that there are times where the where the where the improvisation when you're open to improvisation during your game. And when you're handing stuff to your, you know, you're gifting, I forget they call it, they call it gifting or something like that, giving. It's sort of the idea that you're handing, you're, you're setting up the other people uh, for a situation. And boy, when it works, it feels really good. And it's fun and it's funny. And like, it's sometimes it's at the expense of a character, but not at the expense of a player. And like, you know, you really, like inspiration isn't sort of enough of a gift to give somebody given that they, they put themselves in these positions where they kind of get hosed. And it's sort of like the, you know the 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 when you go to um, Troll Skull Manor and you look in the toilet and a and a hand made out of a black pudding reaches up and grabs you and pulls you down in the toilet and your feet are kicking out of the top of the toilet. Meanwhile, other things are coming out of the woodwork. You know, because I did a big haunted house for for Troll Skull and that was fun. That was like that was like The Shining when they went into when they went into Troll Skull Manor the first time. That one I ran like The Shining, and it was awesome. Um. And and the players were into it, right? Like they didn't feel they got screwed. They they even though their characters are now at a totally disadvantaged position, they thought it was funny and they 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 worked with it. And other the sort of other players loved it. And it's, there's something about sort of that improvisational click that just feels great when it works out. And I don't I don't know, you know, you just want to kind of constantly be setting things up. Um, I'll give it so I, I, you know, sort of another. Another thought on this, I was talking to my wife yesterday and we we're closing in on the end of our Eberron game. And I asked her, like, as we close in on the end, what are some of the things that you want to have happen in this game? Right. And she said that she thought it would be really great if there was if every character sort of had a, 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 a good opportunity to shine before the end of the game. Like they've had opportunities to shine. But, you know, do they you know, can you set things up? And so the question I had we started talking about it. It was like, sure, you want you want your monk to have lots of opportunities to race around a area and do things. You want your cleric, your 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 cleric to have a big opportunity to like blast down on dead and do cleric stuff and heal, you know, save everybody. You want your rogue to have really good like thievy, backstabby, disarmy sort of stuff. So looking at all the you know, big lore, right? The 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 wizard should really be able to dig into arcane lore. Um, the artificer should be able to work with like really cool machinery. So, you know, like what are all those opportunities? And the question I had was like, is it too much? If you, if you kind of design encounters that way, if you kind of say like, okay, I want to make an encounter that's going to make this character shine and you build it that way, is that too structured? And instead it's actually better when you build sort of open situations and you, Give yourself a lot of tools to improvise so that when the situation occurs, you can suddenly shine the spotlight and say, look, and it's it, it, I think it feels better instead of designing specific encounters to highlight the capabilities of specific characters, you want to create a lot of different kinds of encounters with a lot of different circumstances and situations and a lot of the hooks 
and a lot of room in them so that when the player makes the character do something cool, you can then shine the spotlight on them at the moment, be able to watch them do their shit that they're doing here. That's really cool, right? So I think that that's tricky. I'm still thinking about that. That will probably end up being an article. Um, but we were talking about that and I, and I, I was kind of fascinated by that idea. And I, I think that's where the value of like, Step one of return is look at the characters, right? Study the characters. And you do that not to build things for them specifically, although many times you'll like build some secrets or whatever, but it's also to um, have them in the back of your mind so that when you're designing the rest of it, you kind of know like, oh, this is going to be a fun circumstance for an encounter, for an artificer to deal with. So, so I kind of dig that. Um, Sinistar says, do you use a laptop when DMing a session? I do now. Um, I don't know what it's going to be like when I go back to the physical table again. So this is, boy, oh, this should have been number one is like, what's it like? Oh, final topic. So this is a good final topic. Although, boy, we've been talking almost two hours. So probably time to go in the next 10 minutes. But I'm going to, so we're not going to get to Dwarven Forge stuff. But I do want to talk about playing online. And um, so a very very kind person gifted me a license for Foundry. Uh, Foundry, I believe, I want to do a poll on Twitter maybe about popularity of DM tools. Uh, I, It feels like it's the third most popular uh, VTT right now. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if like Astral or somebody else is, is higher. Um, it feels like it's probably third next to Roll20 and next to Fantasy Grounds. Um, and, uh, I have a friend who loves it, who, who fell in love with Foundry. So I was like, huh, Foundry, I'll take a look at it. I was pretty sure it's not for me, but I was like, I should take a look at a look at it. Um, and, uh, so they gifted me a light. There was a sale on it for Black Friday. It probably still is a Black Friday sale. Uh, uh, give me a sec to clear my so is there still a sale? I know there was. Yeah, so it's a 25% discount for Black Friday. So you get it for 38 bucks. And it's a one-time license for 38 bucks. And it is a um, you know, full full VTT um and it has a lot of features, a lot of integrations. It has a lot of great um uh, it has um, lots and lots and lots of features. So I, because I was given, gifted the license, I spent, I think on Thursday, I think it was Thursday morning, Thanksgiving morning. Uh, I spent probably a good piece of the morning um, playing around with it. And I built some campaigns, I built some scenes and I put maps and tokens and everything and tried it. And I played with the lighting effects and I integrated it with D&D Beyond and I did a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, it looks very cool. And I know people who love it. So I am not disparaging at all. I, I still don't think it's for me. And uh, I saw somebody on Reddit uh, did a post. I can, I can probably find it. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I, I only know it because I linked to it in another post. So they posted a pretty popular Reddit post of top 10 assets. I got a thousand, thousand upvotes on this. And they mentioned that they're top programs to use for running online. These are top 10 assets for DMing virtual D&D. And I was like, that's great. More people need this. And we did, we, I, think, I think people should have different approaches. And so people can find the approach they like. 
and they picked Foundry as their number one thing. And Foundry has lots of different things. You saw like when I was, I had a plugin issue because I had the Foundry, uh, the Foundry VTT plugin for integrating with D&D Beyond. And um, it's a very powerful tool. My friend was showing me about lighting effects and you can do like the dynamic lighting where you draw the lines around all the walls in a map and then you move your token around and the the, the map shows. So it's really, when you think of like, if you want to have like a, uh, how do you how do you say, like a high, um, a highly visual approach to your D&D game. Visual and audio, you see music and sound effects and and special effects and lighting effects. And then I saw some videos that people are putting out where they, they put like sparks around candlelight. So you can do theater of the mind style where you give it like a, like a side view image of a tavern and the lights are flashing and the sparks are going and you hear the tavern music and hear it. And you can kind of put this on as a background. So it's a very high special effects platform for D and D games, like really big. If you want to have a lot, if you're pouring a lot into your game to sort of really hit all of the senses that you can, um, short of like taste and touch and smell. I guess it's just two of the senses. Um, but you really want to build like a theatrical version of your D&D game. Then this is like a great platform for being able to do that. It takes a lot of work to make stuff on it. And so I, I dug it and I, and I think it's powerful and, I, and I'm not done with it. I still want to play with it. I've got it installed on my machine here. I've got it installed on my machine up there. Um, but one of the things that I find with tools like this, I found this with Roll20. I, I didn't play a lot with Fantasy Grounds, but a little bit with Fantasy Grounds and a little bit with Foundry in my time there is like, it wants to be all things. It wants to be fully integrated with everything. So you wanna have your characters in there. You want your tokens in there. You want your monsters in there. You want your adventures in there. You want your maps in there. You want your notes in there. You want every aspect of your game that you've got needs to be in one platform. And that means the platform has to support all of those things. And that means the platform is complicated to use because you gotta figure all that stuff out. And, um, the approach that I've been taking, and that was why I wrote not a rebuttal exactly with only 26 upvotes. Um, the rebuttal that I wrote was the approach that I've been using over the past few years uh, or past few, past few months, which is I use Discord as for audio, video, and text chat and sharing images, right? I use Albert Rodeo when I need to have a grid. I love Albert Rodeo. Um, and I just wrote a big article about Albert Rodeo because it's a free tool. It's just maps and tokens, very straightforward, no integration with any other kind of aspects. Um, but really good. Uh, I use D&D Beyond and my players all use it. I think I have one player who doesn't, but everybody else uses it. And, um, and then Avre to connect D&D Beyond to Discord. And even Avre is kind of optional. I don't, I don't know that I need Avre anymore. The big question is, do you need to see other people's die, die rolls? And it's like, I don't see them at the table when we're playing. I don't look over and go, what did you roll? Right? They just roll and go, I got 10. And there's a little bit of like, maybe the guy next door, but no, no, I don't play with anybody who cheats. I'm pretty sure, you know, I could, I could track their, I could track their roles. I've cheated, but I don't think they've cheated. And um, so the question is like, you could just play with whatever, right? Like I think that like D&D Beyond, the nice thing about all of the tools that I'm using here is they're all optional, right? Like, I mean, you need some way to do audio chat, right? So Discord works really well for that. So Discord is kind of the, the hub. Albert Rodeo, I use it occasionally, but rarely because I usually run Theater of the Mind and I can run Theater of the Mind in Discord without any problem. Um, D&D Beyond, that's great, but you can also just play with a pen and paper and, and piece of paper and use your books. A lot of people use D&D Beyond though, anyway. And then Avre is nice if you want to connect it. I've got some players who do it. I don't really do it anymore. Uh, I will use the die roller in there, but really I just need a die roller. And 
it's it's interesting to me that I was really excited about Avre early on and then have have pulled way back. And now I, I tend not to use it. And I just I use Beyond or, or and then roll physical dice. I've got I've got dice right here on my table um, where, where I roll. So yeah, so that's been really interesting. And and kind of the 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 um I've talked to a lot of people um who I'll pull up Albert Rodeo just because people so here's the neat thing, right? I don't know. I don't want a password. Um, and oh, how do you get rid of this? No, go away. Is there a way to get rid of this? I thought there was like a full screen mode. Where is my full screen mode? Um, so you can kind of see, you know. That was when they were fighting the. Um, uh, this is when they were fighting the um, frost giant werewolf, and you can see like they have like seventy out of seventy-two AC fifteen, right? They wrote that in. That's not integrated from anywhere. They just thought the players thought, hey, wouldn't it be a good idea if we had our hit points on here so we could all see, kind of what we're what, what's going on and, and make things a little bit faster. This I think was just a, a, a token. Uh, but really nice. And a lot of people that I've talked to that have used Owlbear Rodeo, they're like, man, this is so nice because it's just so fast. And, and like it, you saw it, like loading it up was super fast. You know, I can, here's another map I used, right? Um, uh, you know, it was super fast to like make tokens and to drop tokens. It's got a bunch of default tokens in here. So you have like all different kinds of class tokens. Uh, that you can use if you just want a quick one. So I just, I, I love Albert Rodeo so much. I gave him, I just sent them some money today. They have a donation thing. How does Fog of War work? Good question. Uh, I will show you because I just learned how to do this. So Fog of War, what you start with, you click the plus, which is the, the, the add fog. You pick the pen, the fog polygon tool. I don't know why it's a pen. And you draw a polygon. So you go point, 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 uh, point, whoops, point, and then connect it. And now it's fogged, right? And you can see like, this is what it looks like to the player. Then when you want to reveal an area, you do the paintbrush and the minus, and you draw a little area around what you want to see. You say like, you want to see this side of the boat maybe, right? And you can see that that's what they, that's what they see on their side. So, uh, you know, you want to you want to see the rest of the monsters. You just cut away the fog to show them what they can see. Uh, I'll show you a better example. So here's a dungeon map. Uh, so here, yeah, here's one I was experimenting with. So first thing we'll do is, uh, can you just delete the? Is, is there a way remove? Let's try this. Yeah, so now I've removed all the fog. And now I'm going to create a new one. And I go boom, boom, boom. It's, it's kind of a bummer. I can't quite get around the. I can't get around my toolbar. Uh, that's a bug. Let me, let me try this again. Let's move the map. There we go. Um, so bang, bang. Bang, bang, bang. So now I've got the fog on the whole map, right? And let's say they're just at level one. So we go over to level one and you say like, we're, we're gonna grab our, uh, 
uh, rogue and our palette and they're coming down the stairs, right? So we would say that what they can see is subtract that they're here, right? And then we can check it with this one. That shows them what they can see. You're like you come up to a door, I check it for traps. There's no traps. Okay, we walk in. So then you say, okay, you walk in, and then they can see. Uh, let me do minus again, and we go here, and we, they can see pretty much everything around here up to this door, right? And then you check it again, right? And then they say, I want, I want to move over to that door, and I check the door. Paladin's like, I'll back you up. Paladin goes up here. It's not great because I'm I'm on this like super tall area. Um, and we go back there and minus and he can see that. And then she opens the door, Rogue opens the door and she can see that. And that way you can expose the map. Uh, so everybody can control every token. Uh, the DM is the only one that has control over Fog of War tools, but anybody that you invite can move anybody else's token, which gets a little... You got to trust your players not to screw around. You know, just like don't screw around. Um, but there's no real permissions for things, and that means that you can just send a link, right? So like I can, I'm not going to do it because there's 50 of you, but I can send you the link to this map, and you guys could screw with it, right? And you guys could move tokens around and do stuff. So it's just it's just super super straightforward. You know, it's it's really, uh, oops, it's really a straightforward tool. Um, for, for drawing maps. And I'm probably going to use it more than I have been, even for exploration, because uh, now I know how to do the fog of war with it. Um, so I love Albert Rodeo. And it's just, that's it. It's maps and tokens, right? It's nothing else. It's, 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 it's got a die roller. Like you can, you can go in here and roll a die if you want to roll, you know, with, with people, but you don't, you don't have to. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that matters too much. I don't think I'd bother. Um, yeah, so I really, I'm I'm digging I'm digging the Albert Rodeo. It it is it is fun. Um, yeah, so I, I'm just I'm still fascinated. And then then the big question is like, when are we getting back together again? Right? Like, you know, that's a tough question. Like, I mean, we all have to get the vaccines. Um, can you play music? There's some. It's, yeah, good question. Um, I think so. It also remember, even though you don't have a password or account, it still remembers who you were and what you had based on, I think it's the local resources. I heard somebody in my Discord said that actually all this stuff is stored locally, not on their servers, which I thought was very interesting. And it, and it uses some kind of protocol. But yes, there is a, you can share. So I can click start sharing and I can, uh, so what I would do, I guess, is I would uh, make a new window probably on, can I drag this out? And I go to like um, tabletop audio and I'd play my like defiled temple music. Um, so I'd have this defiled temple music and then I could go into sharing. I don't know if you can you hear my defiled temple music. And then I could go into share, start sharing and I'd say application window and I'd do the tabletop audio window um, whoops, I clicked the wrong thing. Start sharing, share audio, application window, Chrome, uh, tabletop audio, share. No audio found. Hmm. I don't know. I guess there's a way to do that. I have to find out. It could be that I'm also on 
you know, I'm broadcasting and that's weird too. Uh, love it. Love that. Love that tool uh, a lot. I think it's really, I think it's really great. Getting back together is an interesting question. My local group went to Discord, but then we've used COVID as an opportunity to invite friends from other states. I, I've had that question. So my my uh, Wednesday group uh, is is has been down a member for a while, and it, it pretty much since the start of COVID. And I'm you know I'm thinking that I need to bring in at least one more person. Um, and I've been contemplating like best way to kind of find you know recruit somebody. To, you know I got friends and I got friends of friends, but it, you know is there other ways that I could bring someone into the group? Um, that would really enjoy it. And then the question is like, should I, pro I probably want to pick someone local because um, we do want to get back in person, you know? So I think I'd like that group, my, my home Wednesday group, I think that one, I want to fight hard to actually come back in person, which means I don't want to invite people who couldn't drive here and get to my house on a Wednesday night, every night, every, every week. Right. And that's tricky. So my, my Sunday group, I have a feeling my Sunday group uh, is going to stay remote permanently. I think we're done. You know, I love the local game shop, but I think we're not going back because, boy, my players were, they were driving 40 minutes to get there. And, you know, I think, I think that's just going to be hard to do. We'll have to see. But I think it's going to be probably spring or summer before we do that. Um, so that's real. That's real tricky. Uh, so this has gone on now for two hours and eight minutes, and I think it is time to call it a day. Uh, I don't know. Is there any topic we haven't talked about that you guys really want to hear about? Uh, now's the time. Otherwise, I think it's time for lunch. Uh, last, last call. I think we covered every topic. Uh, before you go, thank you for your help with Strong Starts a few weeks ago. Struggling, but I'm working more. Great. Um, uh, I'm glad. Uh, hints towards the next Sly Flourish book. Um, yeah. Let's just say that the Uncovered Secrets and the um, the Uncovered Secrets and the Adventure Generators uh, that's something I'm going to be continuing to work hard on. And I think that they could do with some work to, uh, yeah, I'll probably gotta do something with that. That's, that's, that's the beginning of something, not the end of something. And we'll say, uh, I think that that's, yeah, I, I, so I'm, I, I, I would love to do a big ass adventure, uh, but uh, action-oriented monsters as an idea. I actually have a thought about mine. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about this. And then we're going to go. <laughs> That's last topic. I've been toying with an idea. I don't know if I like where it's at yet. And I don't know if it's going to work. And part of the reason is, like, I don't even use it. And if I don't use it, I don't know that it's really that useful. Because, like, who the hell else will use it if I don't? But I look at it, and I'm like, I feel like this is useful. Um. And uh, so, and Ryan, I have a question for you. I will, I will chat with you in Discord later uh, about my next thing and, and ideas. I'm a little, got a little, some worries. So I have a thing called the monster generator. Uh, this was an uncovered secret that I've been working on. My, my general theory for this idea was what if we just made monsters completely differently than the, the fifth edition method, but that was still fifth edition um, that was still fifth edition compatible. 
Uh, so like, what if you just built monsters totally differently, but they still played in 5e? In other words, your players can still use players' handbooks and Xanathars and Tashas and everything else, and they still play normally. All of the rest of the rules play normally, but the way monsters are generated is completely differently. And it probably fits a more 13th age slash 4e style for monster building than the monster manual does. Um, and so, and then the idea was, then could you do it where you kind of build your monsters on the fly? So if you think about like how monsters work in Cypher system, where you just have a DC, could you build a whole monster from just like a single number? So the idea is, what if you just had a level, right? You sort of have two variables to build a monster, a level and the monster's size or, or type. And the level is the equivalent of a character level. So an eighth level monster is the equivalent of an eighth level character. That way all of your encounter building stuff is much easier to deal with, right? It's just straightforward. So CR is kind of a weird one because no one knows what CR actually is. Like CR doesn't represent anything. Level does. Level represents the level of a character. So if you say like you have a, you know, so in this case, and, th and that means that that level is going to be significantly lower than challenge rating, right? Um, so an ogre, for example, isn't going to be a CR, is a CR2, but it's probably, an ogre is probably a level four, maybe even level five or six. If you think about like how big an ogre is, you know, skeletons are like level ones. Because remember, there's one per. So like, you don't have sort of lower level things. I mean, you could, like a Sturge is probably lower than a first level. Um, but um, generally speaking, you have like levels. So the idea is like you, you pick your level first. That tells you a bunch of stats. And then some of them, so so like you, know, you have your sort of ACDC, you know, what's the ACDC of that monster? How many hit points does it have? Uh, proficiency, this, this needs to change to be something else. Probably it's bonus. And that's its general bonus trained bonus right so if it's something it's proficient in what's its bonus and that way you don't have to worry about like what its stat is that it uses for that you only worry about the bonus you do worry about the stats when it comes to um saving throws though but this this bonus is also its trained saving throw um so whenever it has a trained effect that bonus is what you use for its trained effect it has a total damage output but it also has that broken down into a number of attacks and the amount of damage per attack so again, you have your fifth level ogre. You have it has forty hit points. Well, ogre is a special case. So let's let's pick a different one. Say an, an orc, right? You have your orc, your orc of Grumsh, and it's level three. So your level three orc has twelve AC, uh, twenty four hit points. Its bonus is plus four. It does uh, one attack for twelve damage. Feels about right for an orc, right? That feels about right. Now the types have normal, elite, and legendary, right? And your normal monsters are like your orcs they're like humanoids right your elites are double strength so they are like an ogre is really kind of a double strength creature um and a legendary is like a dragon a legendary means that it's the equivalent of a group right it's usually counts as a quad strength although i think i might make it a well no quad i don't know quad strength is probably good but it means you get some really beefy monsters later on um so your ogre for example you might say your ogre is fourth is a fourth level monster uh, and since it's a, but it's a double strength, right? It's because it's so big. It's a double strength monster. So instead of 32 hit points, it has 64 hit points. And instead of doing one attack for 16 damage, it does two attacks for 16 damage. Or, or you could have one attack for 32 damage if you wanted to be a real bastard about it. Uh, so when you make an elite, it doubles their hit points and it doubles their damage. Um, and you can decide like how to break that stuff up. Uh, and then you have a, you know, so then you, there's a section here on adjusting statistics and, and dealing with like, you know, proficiency. 
So you say like, you know, it's proficiency based on what makes sense. Untrained scores, which is skill checks or saving throws that aren't trained are somewhere between minus two and plus four, depending on what you do. And you kind of have to gauge that. So there's not a, there's not really a table for that. You, you have to kind of pick it. Um, and we assume that all monsters have an additional bonus of plus two. Just make that easy. But you can make that variable too. Uh, like your zombies or whatever. Um, senses, languages, and other things just, you know, because this is an abbreviated stat block, make that up based on the story. Like make it fit the story. Movement and range, they move 30 feet. Elites and legendaries, double listed hit points, inflict double damage. Uh, elites have one use of legendary resistance per day, letting them turn a failed saving throw into a success. Legendary and then elites or legendary monsters have four times the hit points, four times the damage, and they have three uses of legendary resistance. Real quick way to make a legendary monster. So, uh, and then somebody asked like, how do you determine how many monsters? So you still, it's a little easier that um, you, you, would, you would assume that on the deadly scale, you would have one monster per character of their level. If they're elites, they count as two. If they're legendaries, they count as four. If they're at their level, that's right on the edge of, of hard to deadly. Um, Monsters that are, if you want more monsters, if they're half the level, you can have twice the monsters. Uh, same, same if they are, um, you could have four, four monsters if they're quarter level. So it scales, it scales linearly all the way up. I don't know if that works. I think that's pretty close. And then the idea is you have these monster traits and these are sort of plug and play traits. I put a bunch down here, but I, I have a feeling there would be more. And my idea for traits is that you don't worry about how they change the difficulty. You just pick the traits that make sense for the monster and more powerful monsters are likely to have more traits. So it's still based on the story. You don't, you don't, you know, you're not min-maxing your monsters by picking deadly traits. You're only giving a monster trait when it makes sense. So like your basilisk has petrification. Your, um, your, your, your whites have death touch, you know, and various immunities and resistances. Some creatures have them, but you don't, they don't change the difficulty um, because a lot of times your expectation is that higher level monsters are going to have them anyway because the story makes sense. Um, so I made some example monsters. And what I really like about, so here's the ogre, right? I said a level three elite. So 11, AC 11, 48 hit points, does four, plus four to hit for 24 points of damage. It hits hard, right? That's a hard hitting monster for you know level three. Skeletal veteran, level five undead. 40 hit points, AC 13, longsword, two attacks, plus five, 10 damage. Feels right. And, it, and again, you can see like this plays right in. Now I put stats in here for saving throws and I just made them up, right? And the idea is I made them up based on the um, what makes sense. But I think that this, um, I think that this stat block, it's like really straightforward. It's much smaller than a normal stat block but I think it's enough to run it and, and play with it, right? I made some hard ones, uh, level nine straight vampire, level 13 vampire lord, that's elite. I made an elite level 18 death knight to make a really powerful one. I made a level 20 lich, elite lich. 320 hit points, AC 20, bunch of crazy stats, unholy aura. So a lot of times um, legendaries have an aura that does damage to everybody around them all the time. Uh, in this case, an unholy aura that does 20 damage to anybody that starts within 30 feet of it, you know, or anybody that begins near it using using 13th age style death rays you know so this is more of your fourth edition style lich where he can fire it can fire four death rays plus 12 to hit 40 damage on each one right that's 160 points of damage you can do bang 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 four different targets that's dangerous but it's 20th level disintegrate one target 162 points of damage on a single shot plus 12 to hit if it bang hits you with that you're hit for 162 points of damage and i gave it a spellcaster ability which says it can um 
uh, you cast one spell per level up to ninth level. Plus 12 to spell attack, DC 20. You get to pick it. Just pick what makes sense. Meteor Swarm, sure. It can do a Meteor Swarm, right? And then and then DC is 20 on that. Uh, and then I said, let's go crazy. Let's make a level 23 legendary demon, Orcus, right? So what is Orcus like? AC 22, 796 hit points. Immune to a bunch of stuff. Unholy Aura. Anybody that begins near it takes 47 points of necrotic damage just for starting your Orcus. But he's Orcus. Four attacks with his wand of Orcus. He does 20 bludgeoning damage and 74 necrotic damage and death touch on a uh, wand of Orcus attack, right? Because he's Orcus. A call of call of death. He can pick two targets. They each have to make DC 22 con saves. They take 188 necrotic damage on a failure. That's, that's now we're talking, right? That, right, Ryan, you probably, you know, that's, that's, that's hopefully 2C gaming level of, of deadly. And look at that stat block, right? It's a tiny little block. But, oh, boy, I bet you I can shake up a 20th level group with one of those guys. So, again, I'm toying with the idea. It's sort of like, can you make – is it an easier, faster way to make monsters that make more sense? You know, I don't know. But then I get back to, yeah, I just reskin or modify the existing monsters. Like, I don't know if I trust it enough to use it. And if I don't trust it enough to use it myself – um, is that call it death? Yeah, call it death. will screw up your day. Um, something I've been toying with. I think it's close. I, I think there's something here, uh, but I don't know yet. So yeah. All right. Somebody, why, why'd that come up? Uh, somebody asked that. Uh, oh, action oriented monsters. So yeah. So my thing is like, these monsters are not tactical. They don't have a lot of different things that they do. I'm about the story. I want monsters to be easy to run and, and let the story be interesting. Right. So yeah, I think there, there are other groups. I mean, MC, yeah, you know, M MCDM. Um, I expect you'll see, you know, MCDM is going to continue to support the idea of, um, uh, action-oriented monsters. And and I think there are people who want, there are DMs who want more crunchy monsters with more stuff that they do. I don't think I'm one of them. I think I'm, I want easier to run monsters that are threatening and scare people, but they gotta be easy because I'm busy and I'm not that smart. You know, I'm not, I'm not, my brain is not built to run a lot of tactical stuff when I've got players, you know, knocking things around. So anyway, all right. I want to thank everybody for hanging out in the chat today. Two hours and 20 minutes, but boy, it was fun. I could just, I love doing this stuff. Um, and I will be on again tomorrow morning. And tomorrow morning, we will talk about my Eberron game and where things are going there. Where are they? Where'd they get to? I don't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to remember where they are by tomorrow. So thank you all for hanging out. Always appreciate it. Good times. And I will see you all tomorrow. Have a great day and uh, get out there and play some D&D.